welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken and the special guest star, Brian. Um, this is special number four, recorded April 19th, 2020. So welcome, Brian, to, uh, to our second special Picard episode. Right. Thank you. And, you know, tell me the truth now. Did you miss me? Terribly. I did. Terribly. I talk about you all the time. Uh, now shit. you'll have to go back and listen to the last 300 episodes to see, <laughs> to see where. Well, you know, one of the things I wanted to start with is congratulations, gentlemen. 300 episodes published. That's pretty impressive. That is pretty good. And this is special number four, but uh, what, what are we up to, Donovan? Like 317 or 18? or? Yeah, we've recorded 316, 16. not including, you know, the specials and, uh, you know, uh, April Fool's jokes and things like that. Uh-huh. Not that we've ever done an April Fool's joke. So don't, uh-huh. don't, don't expect one in the future. No. We, we wouldn't go down to something like that. Well, I do remember giving you guys, like teasing you early on, saying, because your your intro used to say, you know, our three-year mission. And I was like... <laughs> no, okay, okay, he said... Yeah, what is that? He said several... Ago, okay, so uh, he's, Now you've changed it. You changed no, it to several. our several-year mission. I know, which is still completely wrong. Several is like two or three. Well, what are we up to? Like past ten? It's been like it, it's, has it's it been, been ten? Yeah. So yeah, we started okay. in uh, 2010 and we started posting in 2011. Okay. And did I hear that in a recent episode he said, pointing out that he's actually listened to some, that you have almost finished every published Star Trek comic book and are considering a different. different <laughs> show? Is that happening? Uh, no, that was uh, that was April Fool's joke. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do that every year. Well, not every year. We skipped last year. Some didn't years we? you or just come we? on as if you were another show, which is, I think, very funny. I was in one of those at one point. I don't remember yeah. what it was. It was the um, Planet of the Apes one, right? No, which that was have... an actual. That was an actual crossover episode. Uh, which one were you in? I'll have to go back and look. Ah, we don't know. But uh, but today we're talking about Picard. We it's, are talking about the, the, the TV series and the uh, companion novel, the prequel novel. We're not talking about the comic books, the prequel comic books, because we covered those already. I forgot which episode. But. I listened. Oh, that no, special, special number. special number three. Special number three, which was the first Picard special, right. Right. So, so we're doing something we've never done before. We're reading a book, an actual book. A real book. No pictures this time. <laughs> Except for the cover, but yes, a lot of words, a lot of words. Yeah. So uh, this book is entitled "What Is It?" Picard: Last Best Hope by Una McCormick. Right. Published by Simon and Schuster Publishing. Yeah, which we'll have to talk about. Uh, so obviously, this will have spoilers for both the book and the TV show itself. So yeah, our plan is to talk about the book very briefly, and then go into the TV show as a whole, all of season one. So uh, if you haven't watched the season or read the book and you want to, uh, I guess don't listen to us. But you, 
if, if you're listening now. to us, there's a good chance that uh, you might have uh, watched the show or, uh, you know, just want to hear our synopsis of the book and not necessarily bother reading it yourself. I don't know. Right. Uh, and, and the other thing is that really The Last Best Hope, the, the ground that's covered by The Last Best, Best Hope is very similar to the comic books that we reviewed in the special number three. Uh, but obviously this covers it in a lot, a lot more of what happened, a bigger time frame and a lot more details. And, uh, it's pretty cool, but well, it is very cool. But I, one of the things that I noticed, unless I missed it and I was kind of paying attention, is I thought there would be some reference in the book to the stories that were in the comic books, um, the countdown right. comic books. And, and there wasn't. And, and Wait, hold on. Which countdown? The Picard countdown Picard or the countdown. 2009 countdown? No, no, no. Picard. The Picard, well, both, actually. But I was talking about the, the Picard countdown. And the thing about um, that was that, that to me, the, the Picard countdown comic books felt like one mission in the many missions that were sort of discussed and alluded to in the book. Yes. So it seemed like a throwaway line just for fan service would have been appropriate. It made me sad it wasn't there. Yeah, just, I was all right that it wasn't there because... I heard... I heard well, that, that sounds like exactly the, the kind of thing Donovan would bring up. I heard the episode where you were lamenting about the fact that the countdown episodes were just all fantasy. They weren't there because you couldn't make it work. They didn't happen. The, Nothing. The None of it. Countdown? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> I don't, I, don't mean, I don't mean to trigger. I don't mean to trigger and bring you back there, but I just want you to know my heart went out to you. I was so mad. I mean, oh, no! I, I get why they did it, but also, I mean, the the fact that they. I always hate it when they have to do a reboot and all of the yeah. expanded media is suddenly gone. So, so it's all not the all gone. Books, all the it's not all gone. Comic books are gone. All it's the not all gone. Novels are gone. It's not all gone. Come back from the edge. Come back. Come what back. We talk about it's not all gone. It's not all gone. Not. The countdown, uh, at least half of what was in the countdown, is still there. It still applies. And the other half, they retconned the crap out of it. But it's not all gone, Donna. It's all gone. Uh, there's nothing in the uh, 2009 countdown book that's can, that can count anymore. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Aside from these people exist. <laughs> <sighs> Go back oh. and reread it. Aside from the, no- the Nova, there is no continuity between those books and this this new timeline well are we, if we're going to jump right into it the, the one of the things that also made me sad about the book even though i love the book um was the very small cameo appearance by spock um i felt they had a real opportunity to, to wed the prime part of the 2009 movie right. with Picard and they really didn't spot was mentioned it. once early on and then he has a half a page scene um, and I wanted to learn about why does um, uh, Nero hate Spock so much what was it that Spock was supposed to do that he didn't do and it well, suddenly became Spock's he was, fault well he was supposed to stop the actual uh, wave the killer wave before the it- Nova Exactly. So, so, the, so the the killer wave of the super duper nova that was coming to get Romulus, he went out in the Jordy LaForge designed, uh, jellyfish. you know, jellyfish. There you go. And he was supposed to stop it before it destroyed Romulus, but he failed. Right. I see. He wasn't That's... trying to stop the star from going supernova. He was trying to protect. Well, it already happened. 
Right. Well, that's okay. because they again, retconned that. That's the old. That's the old continuity. Yep. So in the new continuity, we don't even know if there is a jellyfish because well, they don't ever mention okay, so, already building one in this in this book or the show. So in the TV series and in the book, they're saying that it was actually the Romulus, the Romulan star, star system's sun that went. In the right. movie and in the countdown prequel. It, it went supernova some other place, some other solar system. It just and expanded. It, exactly, which is ridiculous. So at least the retcon makes a little more sense. But but so it doesn't because, uh, yeah, Romulus and Remus being destroyed, that makes sense within a star system. Sure, that makes sense. But then they're saying so much of the Romulan Empire was also destroyed, which is ridiculous. Right. Yeah, this is still a supermassive supernova that, that, that exactly would, they just shifted uh, where where it started from right okay all right so shall we just briefly talk about this book uh i can give a quick synopsis so then we can really dive into the what we liked and didn't like about it sure all right love it Is that cool cool with you i'm in all right there's only one cover that I know of because uh, this is the hardcover and it, it's just a stock photo of Picard holding his TNG badge to me the reader maybe giving it away who knows all right so just as a timeline note this story takes place between 2381 and 2385 which would be about two years after the events at nemesis and 18 years before the main picard tv series so the federation discovers that the romulan star is about to go supernova and puts admiral picard in charge of the relief effort of the romulan citizens and then there's also a side story throughout the book where the Romulan scientist keeps finding out that the uh, destruction is going to be what, much worse than, than the government's saying and how the uh, Romulan government is suppressing his data to make it sound like it's not going to be as bad as he says. So there's two main storylines throughout the book. Uh, so there's the A story, which is Picard's uh, requesting Rafi to – she's part of intelligence – to be his XO – she agrees, leaving her husband and child behind, and then they go off on the USS Verity and begin their – takes four years uh, to uh, try to rescue as many Romulans as they can. And then the story B is Picard uh, enlisting Geordi to head up the Utopia Panisha shipyards to oversee the construction of a huge fleet of refugee ships. And then LaForge – ends up leaving Captain Worf's Enterprise E and heads to Mars to start this great life-defining work. So the story begins in earnest. Picard gets a lot of pushback from his refugee efforts from everybody, which includes the Romulans, who keep saying that this is a trick from the Federation, uh, Starfleet itself that says, you know, why waste the time and effort to help an enemy? And then also Federation citizens who see this as a means to devalue their own communities while money is being spent on creating Romulan communities within their own borders. Geordi's also having lots of problems because he cannot create the ships alone, so he enlists a woman named Estella McKenzie and eventually Bruce Maddox to create an army of non-sentient synthetic android workers. Maddox is reluctant to leave uh, his current work due to, you know, he sees this as a step down because he wants to create the best android, even better than Data, but now he's being forced to create mindless drones. Uh, but his assistant and also lover, Agnes Girardi, eventually uh, she joins him and she can, encourages him to continue. 
Picard has some more highs and lows. Picard's able to become friends with a group of warrior nuns and a small boy named Elnor. But also, uh, the Tal Shiar forces citizens to live in horrible conditions on the Romulan worlds. And there's also a scene where they murder a huge group of people on Nimbus 3 just to prove that they are still the ones in charge. And uh, this all happens while the Federation and Picard have to watch from orbit. Eventually, the synthetic workforce on Mars goes wild and burns the Mars atmosphere. Uh, Geordi is able to escape, but Mackenzie and the rest of her team is killed. Maddox is somewhat blamed for being some distracted either by Agnes or his side projects. Uh, Rafi Musker thinks that this is all a conspiracy. And then Picard believes that the synthetics just became self-aware and rebelled to free themselves from slavery. Then the Federation bans all synthetic life forms and they stop the Romulus relief effort. Picard objects and eventually has to resign from Starfleet and he returns to his family farm where we know he will be with the two Romulans that he is, he befriended in the Picard comic prequel covered in special number three. The end for now. Story continues in Picard, the TV series. In the very beginning, one of the things that made me made was kind of touching. I thought was that Picard starts with Picard on the enterprise and he gets called in to hear about this report about the supernova and the book basically tells us he doesn't realize when he leaves that it's the last time he will ever set foot on the Enterprise. Um, and, and it is in that meeting when he is given a, uh, his promotion to Admiral, both of which I thought were interesting moments in Star Trek history. Yep. Yeah. And, long, also, long, and also... The, long, 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 long overdue. Right. Sorry, kid, didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, but I had, to, I had to throw in some extra long. Uh, and then Worf gets the Enterprise. So I right. thought that was great. And Picard had to stand up for Worf getting the Enterprise to some degree. Because some of the other... Uh, Captain... I forgot what her name is. Captain... Clancy. So Captain Clancy uh, was not 100% for that, for I think a weak reason. Something that happened in DS9. But, um, so there were some question marks about Quark, uh, Worf taking over uh, and a Klingon being uh, captain of the flagship. But uh, Picard stood up for him and he became Captain Worf. So, thumbs up. I just wish I would have seen Captain Worf at some point in the book or in the TV series, which I didn't. So He is in the book a little bit, isn't he? When? No. When Jordy leaves, I thought he. I thought when Picard talks to Jordy, he's also talking to Worf. But maybe I'm misremembering. No, they. He basically gets him on the comm, and then they skip to to another one where basically you make the assumption that they had the conversation. Uh, yeah, they didn't go into details, and and even if they had a little bit of details, where there's the, the conversation where Picard is saying, "Here you go, Worf. You're the man." Uh, you know that's fine, uh, but I just wanted him to actually be in there seeing him as captain. Yeah, no, that would have been nice. So if he would have showed up in the show, would you have wanted him to look like the wharf we know, or would you wanted him to look like the Play-Doh Klingons from Discord? <laughs> 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 uh, that's a trick question. Yeah, it really is. I want him to look like he did in All Good Things. Of course, just a little grayer. Right. 
So maybe that's why he's not in there, because uh, they've already established that Klingons look like elongated head uh, Play-Doh monsters. Although they're doing... They're doing <laughs> the, the Klingons in Discovery look a little better now that they're growing their hair back. And well, right. Yeah, so so for the, the criticism from Season 1 was heard, and they made some adjustments in, uh, in Season 2. And, right. and tried to justify it. But it's right. like, right. that's weak. That's we just, shaved our heads because we were at war. Exactly. Just, you know, just... Just give them hair and don't tr- even try to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's what I say. But no, I agree with you about the, the Captain Worf thing. I, and I thought that it was a weird racist thing. To, oh, well, we can't have a Klingon. Yeah. I thought it was racist, too. I, I, I felt that it was that there was definitely tones of, of racism going on there. And, and I was glad they dealt with it. And Picard would have none of it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So it is weird. This is an example of him saying, you know, if you don't do this, I quit kind of thing. And them actually. Well, he didn't say that. It. I know he didn't, but. He didn't go that far. But he, you know, this is an example of where he did put his foot down and they, they gave in. And then later we know that he puts his foot down and they let him go. Exactly. So but you're jumping ahead. It's hard, I, it's hard not to jump. I have so many notes from different parts of the book. Yeah, well, yeah, to... let's just jump over wherever we need to. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so can, can I tell you my biggest, and maybe you can, guys can help set me straight. In the TV show, um, there, uh, Elrod, Elron, um, Hubbard? <laughs> Elron Hubbard is in the book. Elnor, sorry. Elnor. Okay. The, the Lord of the Rings elf, uh, <laughs> Romulan gear. Um, Elnor, the, 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 as a boy, is with the nuns, and I got the impression from the TV show that Picard had placed him with the nuns temporarily and was going to come back because they didn't have any males or you right. know, with them. And he was going to come back. And then, of course, he never came back. And that was part of the whole complex issue. Whereas in the book, he goes and meets the nuns and Elnor is already there and yeah, is which part is the of the convent. So yeah, I, I had the same problem. But I didn't. Really? Elnor, Elnor was with the nuns. The, well, I... the, 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 the ninja assassin nuns. Yeah, but I thought that he was there because during the refugee effort, he somehow lost his parents. And oh, well, yeah. he was placed with them temporarily oh, okay, until Picard. Picard can find another Picard place didn't for do him. that. No, well, Picard book, didn't do it. But in, no, the, Pic- in the show, it does imply that he's only there because of during the refugee, during the move, he lost his parents somehow. I, I'll but agree. In the book, he I'll was, agree with he was that. there before they even try to move him off planet. True. That's true. That's a good point. So anyway, Elnor and is with them. Picard had nothing to do with it. He he met Elnor with everybody else. I mean, when when he when he when he met the uh, assassin ninja nuns, and uh, <laughs> uh, whatever. How do you solve a problem like Maria? Um... <laughs> <laughs> now, now now there were other romulan males on the planet that they relocated and resettled on and you know that you saw that in the tv series and of course you know that period i mean sure. so there were other other males around they just weren't in the uh what convent do you want uh, to call it or what, right whatever but but in the movie or in the show they imply yeah. that he's not supposed to be there and he's no. only there because he had nowhere else to go during exactly. the movie exactly which i but question in the book, once you're relocated already there yeah once you're relocated on a planet uh, with theoretically other people, uh, and wasn't this a human world they were relocated to? 
Yeah, one of the border pilots, right. Okay. So, I mean, I, I just have an issue with the idea that they absolutely couldn't find any place else for him to go. But, I mean, hey, he became a ninja elf, so it worked mm-hmm. out okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I, 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 I'm going to go back and watch again because I thought that that was one of the reasons why Picard had such tremendous guilt was that he had brought Elnor to the nuns and then he left him there. But I, could... I agree with you 100%, Brian. That was that was my takeaway from the show. That wasn't and, mine. and that was one of the things that I thought was odd about the book. Okay. So we that is verifiable. Right. We'll, we, we will return, listeners. Mm-hmm. We will give you the We answer. will return, but I think that's an assumption on you two, your, your parts. Well, that's what I'm saying. We're going to verify that okay. and get back. Okay. And one of us will say, I told you so. Or maybe two, or maybe two of us. Well, it's two versus one, so maybe that'll not end up happening. But, uh, but I think what Picard is so, so uh, guilty over is not that he brought him to the ninja nuns. It's because he's building up this relationship with this kid, which is kind of not typical of Picard. But he, you know, he, he's old now, so he's had a lot of chance to mellow. But he's building up this relationship with the kid, and the kid digs him, and, you know, he's getting three musketeer novels and everything from him, and then he just <laughs> leaves. He leaves. Right. That is, that is and he prim- never comes back. It's a both and, in my... In my it's, it, 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 that was back. the primary concern, that he did just sort of, like, just never came back, regardless of what his origin, exactly. Elmer's origin story is, he abandoned him, quote-unquote. Kind of, so, sort of. Yeah, I don't and, see how he abandoned him. I mean, he... What else could he have done? What this is? What do you mean? Wait, hold on. Well, but okay. So he loses his. He get he he leaves Starfleet, and I know he was really unhappy about all that kind of stuff. But he, there are spaceships in the world. Uh, <laughs> he could have gotten on another ship like the La Serena and gone back to that Romulan or resettled world. Um, he could have seen them, but he didn't. Sure, For 14 bit, sure. years, he didn't do anything. He just stayed in the chateau or whatever. And and I th- and he never reached out to Rafi. Uh, so I think there were a lot of things which they kept harping on in the TV series uh, about basically he's he's apologizing to everybody. But, you know, he instead of becoming a hermit, I mean, he could have seen these people again, and he didn't. Right. You know, I don't know. It, it brings up an, kind of as a segue. One of my issues with this, uh, with the book, which I thought, kind of with all of Star Trek, is they talk about we don't have any money in the 24th century, and then of course we know they do. Gold press, latinum credits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. They did, and they dealt with the fact that that the the effort to rescue the Romulans and the building of the ships and the moving of of materials um, was going to pull things away from other projects. But they never actually dealt with the economics of it. In other words, building 500 ships from out of nowhere um, costs money. And who's going to pay for that? And obviously, you know, they don't talk about taxation of the Federation worlds or anything like that. But I, I kept reading this thinking, economically, this just seems so infeasible. And they just didn't deal with it. It was just like there's, there's resources available uh, and we'll just use them. Well, isn't that, isn't that traditional with Star Trek? I mean... Well, that's what they, I'm saying. They, they, they never deal with the economics of the future. Right, right. They, it, it's just sort of like, um, how do they work? Well, they work very well. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love the idea, um, but how does it really work? Like, for instance, 
Picard gets uh, this is this is jumping uh, forward to the TV series, but uh, he he gets uh, Rios to uh, and the La Serena. He hi- quote hires them, and I think they even use that word. But it's like, well, what does that mean? Is Picard actually paying uh, Captain Rios? Um, they don't actually right. actually say. But it's like, well, okay, so is this just hired out of goodwill? I mean, how does he? Where does he get his dilithium crystals? I mean, who pays for that? It's like, uh, and I know I know there's no dilithium crystals in next gen time frame, but um, yeah, how does that work? Hmm. Well, know, well there, there's there's I've, another specific example of, of how the economics of Star Trek. How does it really work? Well, I, the reason it brought it came up to me in the first place right now is because you were talking about well, you know, Picard could have gone to visit. I don't know that a, a, a civilian. <laughs> could simply hop on a starship and, you know, make it light years away with the economics. And they don't, they don't ever deal with that. How many civilian passages do we see in Star Trek? Not well, it's, it's very, Star Trek is very focused on um, basically the military. A very, very, very Starfleet-focused storyline. However, we do see glimpses, and maybe it's not all canon, but there was there was a relatively recent uh, what burn um, comic book where uh, where Spock goes off goes off ship and gets on. Uh, oh, that's right. He takes a he goes to Enterprise Renishaw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm glad I'm glad you used the word Enterprise. <laughs> yeah. So so he gets on a he gets on a cruise liner or something. Where he's just a schleb uh, on the ship, and a whole bunch of other people, you know, just civilians, they're going towards something, and then, then when he gets to where he needs to go, then he go exactly. He, he, he rents a shuttle <laughs> to get the rest of the way. But that's a comic book. But, but, yeah. I, 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 but to Brian's point, I mean, in Star Trek shows, I mean, we're, sure. we're always seeing the Enterprise ferrying... Um, people from planet to planet i mean like in uh the original series you know for whatever reason a military vessel was charged with you know carting around um an acting troop from you know one planet to the next oh that was odd uh, yeah you're right <laughs> right so i mean but then the enterprise did it quite a few times in, in next generation where they were like oh well we have some some guests that we're taking to another planet so you're right i mean in the show we don't ever really see non-military ships flying from world to world. Yeah, but that's got to happen. I mean, yeah, right? you would think so. I mean, it's an assumption, be... but... Uh, two, F- thought, two thoughts on something you said, Ken. The fact that he, uh, that Picard is better with children right now. You have to remember, he has now raised an entire family on Catan when he was in the... Oh! So, right? He's been a father. <laughs> Don't forget. Okay, that's, that's fine. That's and right. it is sort of a segue. This thing about the military. Um, I was uh, one of my friends helped me prep for this. Um, his name is Paul, and he was asking the question. So the synth ban suddenly goes into effect after the Mars thing. That's a, a military. The Starfleet. Do they have? How does that get filtered through the Federation? The relationship. Well, no, that's a, I think it's a Federation ban. It it's is not a Starfleet yeah. ban. I so it's, it's a, a Federation, Federation Council that would make that decision, right? And there is a president. Well, yeah, he's in Paris. Right. Yeah. Oh, 
I assume that was a federation band that the that the civ- yeah, that the, so the civilian government did, not Starfleet. It just brings yeah. up an interesting point about the relationship between the federation and Starfleet, and how does that work? You know, um, and in the book we deal pretty much with Starfleet because you've got the commander in chief. Um, sure. But then we've got the ambassadors, the one that's making all the trouble. That I assume is a Federation ambassador, the one that's from the what's her name? Yeah, the, from from that. Uh, okay, from but she's colony world. Yeah, yeah from the, the border yeah, world, right? Exactly. Yeah, but was she an ambassador as much as, like as, much as a, a, a politician? Yeah, like a representative. She's yeah, like a senator. More like yeah, a senator. Like, there you go. More like a senator. Right. Right. That's right. really what I was getting at, and I just said the wrong word. Uh. Yeah, boy, was she a pain. But um, yeah, you love to hate her. Oh, but she she got. I mean, they they, and that whole thing where a small, a smaller, planetary member of the Federation who feels um, slighted by the big boys, um, the big four. Exactly. I mean, it's. I think that's very similar to a lot of small states probably feel that way about the federal government uh, right. today in the U.S. Um, and they're not getting ships or other kinds of things because it's going towards this Romulan thing. So there's a lot of things that I do not understand about the economics of the future. But you could at least it kind of gives you an idea. Oh, I can. Oh, I can see that they're building Romulan ships for the for, uh, for the evac, and so the member worlds aren't getting maybe things they need. Right. Well, and there was a really weird scene in that where she goes to see the androids getting made, and then she goes back and it was like, "We should have androids for our farms and stuff on mm-hmm. our on our planet, not for the Romulans." She takes one with them as a, as an example. Yeah, she goes so back to her like, planet. Ah, that was so bad because it really felt like you know the slave owners and the plantations and stuff. I was just like... <laughs> exactly. And, and then you go back to that whole thing with Bruce Maddox in the original series, or on the Next Generation, Measure of the Man. The whole thing was creating a race of slaves was not okay, and it all came down to sentience, of course, and well, they made exactly. a real point. But, but, that's, not... but that's the difference between a uh, like a modern-day uh, farm equipment that has automatic pilots or automatic drivers, whatever, that can go ahead and plow a field without a human being being involved because there's no consciousness. And even though these synths look like people and they have intelligence, I think they were trying to say that they did not pass... They don't don't have self-awareness. So they're more like a toaster than they are data. But that's the point that that Picard is trying to make at the end is maybe not. And... Yeah, I, well, if they passed, if if they passed that line, then completely, that's not that's not right. But they're not slaves if they if they don't have self awareness. But maybe they ended up with self awareness. And I would propose that that isn't what happened. I agree with Rafi, uh, and and I think that Picard is naive by the end of this book that he won't even even talk about the idea of somebody purposely doing that when it's obvious that's what happened. Uh, in my opinion. I don't know. There's some foreshadowing. Did you notice what the first thing that the first A500 said when he came online? Oh, uh, no, I don't. What, what, did, what did he say? And that, that's please one of the first sentences. Please right? tell me you get this. It was on page 110 at the top. Okay. And when, when he first comes off the line, the first thing out of his mouth is, Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer, do. Oh, yeah. 
You, you, you do understand that reference. Well, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Thank you. But, <laughs> yeah, okay, so, 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 okay, so you're taking that as foreshadowing that he's going to become Hal. They're going to become Hal, and, uh... <laughs> I can't do that, Dave. It, exactly. And, <laughs> and that's possible, but... Well, what's interesting about it is, in the end, no one really says for sure. Right. right, and I think that's... I think, at the I think end of the, the novel, exactly, at the end of the novel, at the end of the TV series, nobody actually says what really happened. Right? Did I miss something? Right. So, so we don't know whether they became self-aware and became Hal, or whether this was uh, somehow the Tal Shiar or the... Um, what, what's, what, what's the other thing? I forgot the name uh, of the other... Uh, Vash. Brahman, the uh, Jadvash. There you go. Or that the Jadvash somehow got in there and reprogrammed the sense. They never really say, for sure. So do they not say that at the end of the TV show, that it, it was the Romulans? Uh, I thought it was... When? Did, did they? I don't I remember. Really, that's an interesting thing. That, that, that's the question, because it seems like, you know, com- we're led to believe, at least I, I was, either through something before the show or early in the show... That there is something um, wrong with Starfleet. There's something rotten, uh, and that Starfleet itself has become corrupt. I thought that the way that Star Trek often does with allegory, they were taking sort of our modern situation and saying, "What do you do when the organization or the the government that that purports to be the good guys still looks with the, the veneer of being the good guys, but is actually corrupt from within?" That's where I thought they were going. In fact, yeah, Rafi's kind of craziness about all her, her conspiracy theories that the that the son basically disses, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and when Bruce Maddox dies, he says, I think even the highest levels of Starfleet are involved. Um, but what happens in the end, it's just Commander O, and of course right. the, the, the brother and sister underneath her. Um, and as soon as that goes, oh, all of a sudden... Starfleet comes in, saves the day with Riker, and the synth band is all gone. So, was there really not that corruption in Starfleet? And it was well, like, just or was, Commander was O was pretty Commander high O was it? Was it all isolated Commander O, or were there more involved? That's the question. Boy, that yeah. was succinct. <laughs> you said that very well. <laughs> Thanks. And, and, yeah. and I don't know. I, I, I thought the beginning was kind of cool. Because they were basically saying, hey, not even in the original Taws, and it continued in TNG, for the most part, the Federation and uh, Starfleet were unrealistically goody-two-shoes. They almost always made the right decision. They almost always, especially in Taws, um, did the right thing, as opposed to the thing you would think maybe a military or government institution might do definitely our current government wouldn't believe wouldn't wouldn't behave like uh like the federation or or starfleet um so the idea of them maybe getting away from that and maybe starting to foreshadow the end of the federation which is what season three of discovery is all about a thousand years in the future um i thought that's what i thought that's where the series was going so at the end where everything was like, oh, everything's fine again. Look, Riker's there with, uh, you know, 200 ships. Um, we're the good guys again. Yay. I was, I was a little surprised. I agree with you. 
Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. Was I, it was hard for me to watch the idea of a corrupt Starfleet because yep. because there is something optimistic. There's that whole Gene Roddenberry thing about you know in the future where humanity has evolved in some way. Mm-hmm. So it was hard to watch that. But at the same time, it felt very realistic and very bold for the television series to take that on because we're living it right now, right. you know? Um, so, uh, anyway. yeah. There was a YouTube, uh, Half in the Bag is, is the episode. It's Red Letter Media, I think. Um, so those guys have been, two of the people that are on that site have been following Picard very closely and giving their opinions. They've had like maybe three different YouTube episodes. And the one guy is making the point, especially early on, he's bemoaning, they're screwing with my Star Trek. Yeah. You know, so one thing I could always count on is there was an optimistic core to Star Trek and the Federation was, and and Starfleet, they were the good guys and now they're messing all that up. They got, they they got an admiral who is using F-bombs and, uh, and, and they appear to be the bad guys. It's like, I don't like this. And like, they were just shutting off the TV series sucks, which I, I hate, uh, when they, when they do things like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, to some degree, I understand what they're saying. Um, but in the end, they kind of left us in kind of an optimistic place because Starfleet came through. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely absolutely agree. I mean, it, it seemed a little bit of a stretch that that Riker would be commanding the fleet oh because he would come back in. That was fan that was just fan service, right? Exactly. When it could have been anybody, it should have been Worf. It should have been Worf. Yeah, I agree. That would have been nice. Um, the other thing I want to say is, just because you can CGI two hundred ships doesn't make it a better story. I would have been okay if there was just one Romulan ship and one Federation ship that came in and saved Amen. the day. You know, it was just, it's just too much after a while. You just can't take it in. Amen. Well, especially since they didn't do anything with it aside from just sit there and, I mean, if they would have had a big fight like in Deep Space Nine during the Dominion War where you see tons of different ships getting into a big heated battle, I mean, that's one thing. But here they just, a standoff and then they go away. Right. I I agree. I could agree with you guys more. What, what? What happened to the old days when the Enterprise, one single ship, could take care of what's going on all by themselves? Or maybe Sulu commanding a second ship. Maybe two ships tops. We take care of everything. What happened to those days? Now we got the end of uh, Discovery Season 2, and the Enterprise and the Discovery all of a sudden have all these modified shuttles that are now fighters, and they got like thousands of ships going all over the place. It's like, oh my Seems god, yeah. would you have to do that? Really, do you have to? And then, and then they did the next best thing on Picard, uh, two hundred capital, you know, bigger ships, but but they're still not capital ships. I mean, all the ships involved in there seem to be, you know, a little on the smaller or medium size, but whatever. It just well, I just I just know that you have hundreds of ships. Better, right? It didn't it didn't make the story any better that that it was just. No. Lots of ships doing nothing. And why, you know, basically this whole thing about, all right, let's go back for a minute to the, the premise, which is, so there's this myth and this, the, the whole idea that the Romulans don't like synths because there's this organization or this, this thing that lives out of time. Um, 
I, I didn't get the impression that the entire Romulan fleet was behind that. I thought it was a small sect that wanted to uh, disrupt the rescue mission by overtaking the synths and that was against synth life altogether. It didn't seem realistic to me that all Romulans hate synths. Does that, you know, and so therefore the entire fleet would come dealing with that when um, it just it just didn't work for me. Right. Well, Commander Commander O was a part of the the, the Jad Vash, right? Yeah. And that was she was half half Romulan, right? She was half Vulcan and half Romulan. I read that. Yeah, I, I, I read that, but I, I don't know they, if okay. they if they did mention that, and maybe they did. Um, they they didn't mention it towards the end. She doesn't show up in the book, does she? Nah, she's not in the book. She didn't come up at all, which I thought was I kept waiting for her to come up. And may I just say, while we're talking about who wasn't in the book, other than a, a brief throwaway in the framing story in the very first pages, what happened to the two Romulan uh, friends of Picard? Um, I thought the book was going to tell us how that came to be. No, then even you touch know, it. Zabin and Laris. Is yeah, that yeah you just you just got to read the comic book for that. Yeah, they they left that in the comic book. A little bit. They didn't really give you. A and good... so and so that from the from the prequel comic was one of their many quote adventures where they were dealing with uh, taking people, you know, g- getting people to safety that they did not include in the novel. Right. It just right. Seemed... So, yeah. So real quick, can I can I mention that uh, about that about what they've kept for the novel, what they put in the comic book, and what they've not they've not talked about. I thought that they did too much in this book as far as introducing everybody all at once. I, I would have, I mean, I get why they had to bring Elnor in there because he's in the booth. He's in the show, but, uh, but I mean, and Maddox and Elnor or, uh, Agnes, it's just like you introduced everybody that you're eventually going to introduce in the TV show, which, well, not everybody. There's plenty, there's plenty of new people you, you get introduced to in the TV show. But, but yeah, there's a lot of people in both places. Right. Yeah, but right. it just seemed like, because cause I started reading this the day it came out, right? And then I stopped because I realized that it was giving away too much that is eventually going to be in, in the show itself. So I got to the point where it introduced Agnes and Maddox as lovers. And then I was like, oh, well, they haven't mentioned that at all in the book, because in fact, or the TV show, because in fact... Agnes just kind of acts like she worked with him, not not nothing romantic. So I actually quit reading it at that point until the show was over, and then I finished it because I was thinking that they were giving away too much that was side side stories for the show itself. But for a prequel book, a, a one book, it just seemed like they were giving away way too much where they could have left the gaps in and, and filled it in later. Like Like the whole Elnor thing, it really seemed shoved in didn't serve this book at all except for um you know fan service or some sort of just oh yeah see like we mentioned we mentioned that this happened you know kind of thing um that that paid off more in the tv show where you actually saw him teaching how to fence and many times he went over there to visit the little boy as he grew up uh whereas in the book it's just like one scene just to say it happened and then he he beams back to the ship when when mars gets attacked I mean, did anybody else feel like that way? Kind of. You know, I thought they overplayed his, like, uh, how much Picard was enamored of Zani, yes. uh, the, the Maria nun. And um, I just, it just, like, she became the symbol of hope for him, and it was the only good mission that they could come up with. Um, I thought that was a little over the top. 
and, and I thought that they basically idealized that whole troop of nuns a little too much. Um, it, but to your point, Donovan, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I think that was the whole th- this this book, which while it was a good, it was a fun read. It was clearly, you know, ha- it wasn't like someone just said, "Oh, I think I'll write a novel." It was like part of a marketing plan, right? Sure. So, so that it, it it's very clear to me that um, they were told, or the author was told, what she, he was is Una he or she or they? I don't know, but um, she they, oh, Una. Okay, I don't know. Well, Shh. number one, number one's also an Una. Oh. Okay. Well. All right. But I don't. I don't think this was written by number one, though. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Una um, was probably told what she could and could not do with this, and she was probably given a very clear outline oh, of the big yeah. plot. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Yeah. So so this is all part of a bigger narrative. Um, right. That why it surprised yeah. me that they didn't somehow show at least mention the planet or something to do tied in with the comic book. Okay, I'm. I'm I'll get over it. Moving on. Um, <laughs> yes, I think you had it. You had a good point. I thought that they made allu- that Una made allusions to um, Maddox um, and um, I'm sorry, Agnes right. being lovers like, like, early right. in the book, and it wasn't the case because later in the book they actually become lovers. I thought she was being kind of subtle, um, and that they were lovers all the way through it until they actually got to the scene where they had actually going back to his apartment. Um, right. And, and we'll take a little. Mo- can I have a moment of personal preference here? Sure. Um, the it's not. There's very very few listeners out there that will know this, but for the few of you that that do, when they finally you know get on with it, when Maddox and uh, Agnes spend the night together, and it's the next morning, and he's making breakfast, and she's in his t-shirt dancing. She's dancing to a song called "Cloud Busting." Oh, uh, "Cloud Busting" is a song. Do you know who who's, who "Cloud Busting" is? Kate Bush, of course. Yes! Yes, thank you. Okay, yes, because Kate Bush is well-known in England, but she's not very well-known here. And it's also a song about someone trying to control the weather and control, um, you know, using science, et et cetera, and getting taken over by the government and taken away. It made me think of the the scientist um, that's on Romulus. Um, So I think, again, Cloud Busting was just sort of a a very carefully chosen song. Mm -hmm. Kate Bush being the only... Recording artist that I have flown across an ocean to see. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Easter eggs. Yeah, I loved it. I I I, I seriously was like uh, giddy when I when I read it. So yeah. did anybody? I don't know when you guys read it, but when I, I just read it, and one of the things that I could not. Obviously, this was written before the pandemic. For those of you that are listening to us in the twenty third or twenty fourth century. We are currently in the midst of a global pandemic, mm. and um, I couldn't. There were there's just parallels that just felt like, and I know that they were probably writing more about our political situation right now, but um, there were an awful lot of places where it. I just, you know, we we sh- where there's a line that says uh, we should not interfere um, with the process of open science, and uh, there's a line that says highly complex civilizations. Reliant as they are on supply chains, can be extremely vulnerable to even mild disruptions. Right. You know, and it was that, that throughout the, the the story, it just felt like I was reading about what's going on right now. Oh, and absolutely. Yeah. And, and really, I, I think we can all agree that 
what they're really trying to allude to is global warming, climate change, those kind of things. They made it very obvious in multiple places. Some of the same, some of the same themes, though, that's involved in global warming applies to the pandemic we're in right now. The idea right. that you should actually listen to science instead of ignoring it because it doesn't play a part in your short-term financial gains. Um, right. That applies to the pandemic, that it applies to climate change. It, it, it applies to a lot of things we're seeing today. But I think the, I think the main point of it in the book was climate change. Right. Well, definitely the Romulan government felt like, you know, what, what, what people have accused the U.S. government now with during the pa- pandemic of, as far as, you know, let's only listen to the scientists that say it's not going to be too bad. Let's and suppress uh, the data, suppress right. the data. Let's let's uh, do this. And then, I mean, at least in this book, if you're looking at it that light, the Federation at least is doing something about it. You know, so they're kind of the good guys, or at least kind they're of, still good yeah. here. I thought, I thought they, the Federation were kind of the good guys here. And um, there's a great line from um, Jean-Luc at one point when he's make, trying to make his argument. When he says, we are not living in the past. We are living in an unprecedented present. Yeah. Which I thought was a really good, you know, summed it up. Yeah, but in the end, there was also a political undercurrent uh, that became a movement that basically was saying... Um, Romulan space is best for Romulans, which is racist, and um, basically turning their back on the Romulan people that really did need the aid. So they were doing the right thing at the beginning, and then towards the end, not so much. Right. Right. But isn't that so true with... I mean, that's also true with real life, is that you know, we got to keep in mind this book takes place over four years. So year one, we find out there's a problem and there's people that need help and we will do anything we can to help them. Yeah, By the time cool. year four, you're like, eh, well, should we be doing something else? You know, right. which kind of like the, the, the senator lady that we don't like. I right. mean, she was kind of that way at the beginning. Yes, we need to do whatever we can, even if she's going to live, even if they're going to live close to us, it's for the best. But then by year four, they're like, Oh well, now I'm not getting my synthetics to to mow the yard. Um, you know, yeah. we're we're being right. we're right. being ignored while we're giving all the money to these these other people. Right, um, crisis fatigue, you might say. Crisis well, fatigue. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Well, I saw a CNN um, headline. I didn't even look at the article, but it made me think about Bruce Maddox and all the people that they referenced had to drop what they were doing to make this work. Yep. And the headline was. He was building rockets. Now he's taking on America's ventilator storage. I mean, that's pretty much it, isn't it? I mean, the whole idea that you have to put your life on hold to help with the crisis. And you're right, going over four years, I imagine that people would start to wane. Right. And they make reference in the television show to, you know, there are Federation worlds that wanted to secede and things were falling apart with the Federation, which is why they had to shut down the rescue mission. Um. The, 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 the Mars attack was the excuse, but in the end, one of the main reasons they, they, they stopped things is because of that movement you just mentioned, uh, right. seceding from the Union, I mean, or from the Federation, uh, and Clancy, after her F-bomb, 
uh, <laughs> says that to Picard in her office. Um, but of course, we see more details of it in the uh, book. Right. Right. It, it it almost it almost reminded me again. I'm, I'm not suggesting that this was written this way, but you know, you see this thing going on with a, a lack of leadership from the federal government with what's going on, and so the states are now competing with one another to get supplies when there really should be a, a centralized effort that's being made where the the need goes to wherever the hottest spot is at the moment, um, where the where the uh, supplies go to the greatest need. Um, and I had that feeling as, the, as things were starting to fall apart in the book, I was like, oh, these are like, you know, states starting to have to fight one another for resources. Um, but you know, maybe I'm drawing a little too much on current events. I don't know. <laughs> Did you guys notice the structure of the book? I mean, didn't, I feel foolish. I didn't notice this until about halfway through, but the name of the book is the last best hope. Right. And the book is split into three sections, which are backwards, the hope the best, the last. Which, oh, I didn't notice. <laughs> that's why you have me. Well, I didn't notice that because I listened to the audiobook. <laughs> it's true. I, I'm not quite sure why they felt in Uma felt a need to. Um, so, what were those up. three again? So, so the the book is broken into three sections in this order. The first section is called the hope. Okay. The second, the middle section is the best, mm-hmm. and the last section is called the last. So it's the opposite of. It, it's hope best last, right. not last best hope. See, and there is the benefits of actually reading a book instead of listening to an audio <laughs> hey, There's a reason why you have me on, Ken. Because <laughs> Donovan and I are lazy. Which, hey, just give me the audiobook. I just listen to the audiobook. Well, and, and as far as the audiobook goes, the, uh, the narrator, he does a spot on Picard impression. Oh, that, he gets well, a lot of experience. He gets yeah. a lot of practice. <laughs> Every chapter begins with a with a log entry, for those of you that haven't read it. And uh, I, I heard Picard's voice in my head every time. Yep. Yeah. So Robert Petkoff was the narrator, and he does the vast majority of uh, Star Trek audiobooks these days. I mean, not all of them, but he does the vast majority of the ones that they're cranking out uh, over the past at least five years. So uh, he has done multiple narrations of books with Picard in it. And he does do an excellent job, Donovan. I could not agree more. So uh, can I point out maybe a, uh, you know, a little bit of hypocrisy that, that doesn't quite make sense if you really think about it? Go on. So in the four years of this book, Jordy and the Federation had to stop everything to make did they say they said five hundred ships or 500, something? Five hundred, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So to to make these bare bone, literally just maybe hulls and deflector ship shields and 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 warp engines, right? No bells and whistles on these ships, just to ferry people from one planet to the other, right? Correct. Big deal. Had to create a whole synthetic army to do it. Blah 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 blah. Right. Um, but at the end of Ricard, we see that they are they at that point, which I know is eighteen years later, but. They had 500 of the exact same, uh, you know, battle cruisers that, so they had to stop everything to make a bare bones ship. But at some point, they're able to make 500 of the same, uh, same battle cruiser that, 500? that, 
I don't know. How the, ones at the, en- the ones at the end yeah, of the yeah, car. Yeah, yeah, there was tons of them. But they, there were 200 but, about. Okay, no, but they, but they, they, they were going to make 500 them. transport ships. Yeah. And, and, okay. and I think your point is that uh, Utopia Planitia and all of Mars are still on fire. So how on earth did they get 200 of these state-of-the-art ships built? You know, I, you well, know, I guess... Well, they had... It's been 14 years. I mean, they had to move their shipbuilding facilities elsewhere. And by the way, Utopia, even though they talk about Utopia Planitia uh, uh, yards being the only place, there are other places in the Federation that create ships. They never talk about them in this, in this book, but there are other places. If you, mm. look at, um, if you look at where all the different ships we've seen, a lot of them come from San Francisco shipyards or, or Utopia Mars. Uh, some of the ships. There's, there's one on Jupiter too, right? So, yeah, right. I get that. But I'm just saying that these were the way Riker talks is that these were badass ships that could take out the Romulan fleets, and they have 200 of them. So they were able to build those without any synthetic slavery, without yeah. any type of. Well, uh, we don't. Yeah. But they, I mean, I'm just saying, where did these 200 come from? That's the problem. But where did they come? They, these were. So they pulled these ships years out. Fourteen years later, of, you can't. You in a, in the span of fourteen years. But I'm saying, what were these two hundred ships doing, aside from just waiting to be sent to this planet? They these would be the ships that are out doing their five year missions. But at the end of the Picard, they're able to all get together and come to the help of one planet. Well, so the, they're either not doing five year missions. They're all just in a warehouse somewhere waiting to go. Well, that just underscores what I was saying about yeah. he didn't really even need them. You know? No, I, I would have been much happier to see maybe 20 capital ships. So let's see Worf and Enterprise F or whatever it was up to at that point. And then, you know, some other badass, uh, you know, big ships uh, as opposed to what they did. It's like, it's like numbers are the big thing. I mean, why did they need 200 um, Romulan ships? I don't think they did, but... That's what they okay. Find two hundred there, and now you got to have two hundred um, Federation ships. I think maybe what they're trying to say is that rather than have as many big ships, maybe they're shifting and and they're you know basically have more defiance than having you know big huge uh, enter, you know uh, Enterprise or uh, larger ships. Maybe they're shifting that to to a different way of doing things. But I definitely think it's just. You know, a hidden door is that the production company? I think I think the, oh, right. the creators of the show are just enamored with numbers. So you got to have fifteen jillion of these things out there. Uh, and, That's you know, funny. I just realized hidden don't... door Romulans. What? Oh, well, you're, you're it, seeing the, you're seeing the relationship. Well, if they call the company Hidden Door. There's yeah. an awful lot about hidden doors in the show oh. and in the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Romulan. I, I thought I thought that part of. I, I never knew that much about Romulans, but the whole idea that they have fake doors at the front of their homes, yeah, and, and you have to go in the back way, and if you've got enough money, you have to go through a maze. They build a maze. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, these people, these Romulans. They've had they've had Romulan society in other books and TV shows and stuff, and they've never. Well, I never saw this stuff before. Yeah, I, I never saw this level of detail. Yeah, this is all... Well, I mean, because it's all made up for this. I mean, because okay. there's... Okay. There's... I mean, Unification 1 and 2, they well, talk... Yeah, they but... have Hardak's uh, home and stuff like that, and he doesn't have 
secret doors and stuff, and he's part of a rebellion. So, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> if anybody's going to have a secret door, it should have been Pardak, but uh, he didn't. Okay. Well, you know, they retcon with gay abandon. So, there you go. <laughs> but I, I thought the details they put in there were kind of interesting. I... Interesting, yeah, but I, I thought it was too much. Okay. Uh, okay, so here's a question. In the beginning, twice, they talk about M. Jean-Luc Picard, M. the letter M. Am I missing something? Have I gone I missed this that whole far? Thing. What is the M? It, it, okay, at the beginning of the novel. Yeah. I, I, that, isn't that how they do monsieur, which would be like Mr. Oh, monsieur. Oh, monsieur. Maybe, maybe, maybe like Mr. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Pretty sure. Okay. Sorry, flaunting my ignorance for everyone to see. I was just like, yeah, M period Jean-Luc Picard, right in the first sentence. There's another piece of detail I, I did not hear, I don't remember hearing in the audiobook. You probably said more huh. sure. More right. Probably. probably. All right, probably. well, that answers that question. Thank you. I'm glad I could do that publicly. Um, <laughs> dis- I was disappointed that um, they, they mention the fact that Rafi calls him JL, but there's no real, I thought there was going to be kind of a fun story as to how that came about. Because right. nobody else can get away with it, right? Maybe they did say that. But I was just, like, waiting for the, the, the how to just... And I want to say Ooh. about the book, I thought they did an excellent job with Rafi's character. Because mm-hmm. um, she is uh, intelligent, she's smart, but she's also very down-to-earth, and her language is very salty, and she feels like the, the um, Rafi that we, get to, that we know. And her descent... Um, as she gets further away from her family and doesn't come back into alcoholism, is sort of dealt with. Um, but I felt it was one of the stronger elements of the book was that particular character and the relationship between her and Picard, and I appreciated that. Because in the, in the movie, sorry, in the TV show, it just seems to come out of nowhere, and it's like, wow. Well, so right. I kind of I liked it. Yeah. No, I really, I re- I really <laughs> liked the, the family thing. Um, the alcoholism and drug use, though... Uh, I, I didn't think that they went into it as much as it's implied that she had the problem in the show. Yeah, because it seems like the son had some knowledge of her addiction because she says, I'm clean, I'm clean, um, in in the show. Uh, and in this, she has no contact with the family, really. Right. Um, but who knows, maybe she did between yeah. in the years between, but... Well, there's, what, even... what, 14 years pass between yeah. the, the end of the novel and the Picard series. So there's all kinds of bad yeah. things that could have happened to her in that time period. Sure. Yep. But it seems like she's still not clean, though, because doesn't... I mean, I know that she's vaping, but doesn't she actually say that the what she's vaping is that snakeweed stuff, which uh, they imply when they're on that gambling planet that that's, that's the drug she, she uses? Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. When she tells her son, I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm like, maybe for the last day or two. As well, I know. Well, she's there. lying. Well, you see her smoking when she meets with Picard for the right. first time. Yeah, that whole thing didn't really work for me. It's just like um, uh, I didn't like the captain, what's his name, who, uh, how can I forget his name? Rios? Uh, Rios. Rios, smoking the cigar on the ship. That just... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool. I mean, he looked good. I'm not complaining about more shots of Rios at all, but um, I just didn't think the cigar worked. Oh, no. I thought it was okay, but yeah. Well, they, you know, he—they're trying to make him a little bit roguish, you know. So he's 
He's got the he's got tequila that he's uh, disinfecting his shoulder with, even though he's got a perfectly good uh, EMH next to him. Right. And he's got the cigar going. He's he's Han Solo. He's uh, you know yeah, whatever. Yeah. I just thought he was one of the more interesting characters. Yeah. In, and his backstory we find out about in the series. Yeah. I thought that was great. He seems much more human. Um, like I say, but I can I can handle more screen time. His attitude and habits reminded me of Starbuck from the original Battlestar Galactica. Oh, really? Starbuck? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't Starbuck the one that always had the cigar. And, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. And Dirk, just very... Dirk, Dirk Benedict or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how much more we want to talk about the book, but there is something that we, I feel we are obligated to discuss mm-hmm. because it's what? just... We did get to return to Nimbus 3. Oh, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. The planet of galactic peace. Mm-hmm. Well, there are people that would like to think of Star Trek V as not canon. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but there it was. Yeah, I thought that was great. I actually, I, I, I liked it too. I thought it was kind of a, a nice little tie-in. So they could have done a little more of that. But, um, but with with Nimbus three, how does that make sense in the in the grand scheme of Star Trek? Because Nimbus 3 is is a colony planet of Klingons, Romulans, and humans, right? Right. Well, and they make they make a reference to that in the book. Very. They, they say they call it the when it's it's its origins where it was settled that way to be the planet of galactic peace. It was right. a great experiment. And even in the movie, they Star Trek Five, they say it's already kind of broken down. Right. Oh, it's and broken the, down already. Which <laughs> implies right. that it it had been started years, decades before, right? Uh-huh. That's the way I took it. I didn't take it that there was a brand new settlement at the at at the beginning of Star Trek Five. I took it that it it been there a while and it had failed. And yeah, I didn't like, think it was. Yeah, it couldn't have been like brand new, but I didn't think that it had been there for you know a long, long time. And in this story, well, how long here, do you think? I would go twenty years. Okay, because because well, remember nobody knew what a Romulan looked like until Balance of Terror, so it. Theoretically, we would have to be after that if they settled a planet with Romulans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would have yeah. to know what they look like. Okay. Okay. So that, this was an that, that was time. always been my number number one problem with Star Trek Five. You know, because aside from that, the movie's perfect. Uh, <laughs> number one problem was, was Nimbus Three. Seemed like it had been there for decades, but Balance of Terror was only like a, a, a you know maybe ten ten twenty years tops. Um. I'm really, really trying not to launch into everything wrong with Star Trek V conversation, so just <laughs> hold me back. Um, well, but... what, what, why couldn't it have been established around the Taz time frame, and then, or maybe a little after, and then, you know, fast forward to the movie time frame? I mean, what... Well, like, which would have been maybe 20 years tops. Right. So from the time that we saw Romulan for the first time, had the whole cloak, cloaking, stealing issue yeah. episode in season three, then after that, we decided to work with the Klingons. Seems weird. I always yeah, that, think it was older than that. It, 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 the whole that whole thing didn't really even make sense at the time. I never really got it. Um, but by the time of this book, which is a hundred years later, sure. I think that they're pretty much saying it's just a Romulan. A Romulan, exactly. It's on the edge of the neutral zone, and it's. Um, it seems to be a Romulan different? world. Yeah. Romulan colony. I really wonder, did they actually mention anything about Klingons or human citizens? They just talked about... This one, no, just Klingons. I mean, just the Well, there was a throwaway line about the, its its difficult beginnings, and then the, they used, in quotes, the planet of galactic peace. Okay. 
Uh, that's it. <laughs> but I knew as soon as they said Nimbus 3 where we were going. Did, I mean, oh, I did too. I was like, oh, they're bringing it up. Yeah, Star Trek Five's yeah. canon, yes! <laughs> <laughs> well, it's canon. For better or for worse, it's canon. But when they go up with the rocket boots, the decks go in the wrong direction. <laughs> yes, and it's just proof that Spock has a, a very extended family that he only dishes out in small doses. You don't, have, you don't have a human sister. Oh, but I do, but I'm not telling you. You, have, you don't have a half-brother. Oh, but I do. I would have loved if they had brought up Cybok somehow in uh, Discovery. but that I may- wish they would have. I wish they would have so bad. And now, now, all right, so that we... So, we, we, so they explained that away, saying that Cybok was old enough that what he had already left the family... And well, he uh, struck out on his own Spock, by the time Spock was uh, a, a lad? It's Savick's first wife, who's a Vulcan princess. Duh. And somehow they're not together anymore. Savick. In Surak. Surak. Okay. Surak. Surak. Okay, okay, fine. Savick's first wife. Let's talk about that. Surak. <laughs> yes. Okay, okay. Fine, Sorry. fine, fine. Sorry. You know, the guy that looks just like a Romulan? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Shall we move on to the show, or do we? I mean, we talked about the show. Quite I have a bit. one quick thing to say about the book, and then before we talk about the show, um, I think Ken, you were because you think you know the best of all of us. This sort of little bit of the story of why the movies and the TV shows are a little off, and I'll just mention this about the book before we stop, and that was. In the beginning, when he when Picard goes back, it's made admiral, gets put in front of the entire project, and he gets given an office and has a staff. It seemed weird to me that he immediately got on a ship and went over and started doing the work. It would seem like you would need somebody in charge of the effort who was not, in fact, you well, know, forced for the trees, out there doing it. It seemed if he was in charge of the entire operation and all the different ships and the coordination, that he would be more sort of bound uh, at Starfleet. Yeah. Did that but, seem but, weird to you? A little bit, but they but they did address that to as well as they did. Um, I mean, there was a, a person under his command that he was able to find to hold the fort back at Earth. Uh, yes. I, for, I forgot the character's name, but um, I mean, they at least said, oh, this is really important for somebody I can really trust to be back here and they said who the person was. I don't remember. No, you're right. You're right. Now that you mentioned that, it just but, seemed weird. Yeah, it was like he was right. in charge, and then he was off on his adventures doing it. Well, yeah. Um, he was well, just but... following Kirk's advice. Don't go. Don't <laughs> don't sit behind the desk. Don't exactly. <laughs> don't let them promote you. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> but they did, okay. and he let it happen. Right. So now, dear listener, um, you may wonder about the two different universes of Star Trek and why the movies and the TV show are so often uh, seem to be intentional with one another. Ken? Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> okay, so, I mean, a lot of people have probably seen some of the videos on YouTube or, or read about the situation, but... Okay. So, Viacom and CBS, they were one company. Paramount, of course, is part of uh, Viacom. And you had movies and TV shows, and everything was great. Then, Red... I forgot his last name. But the big shot. um, CEO, whatever. um, 
Red something or other, I don't remember the last name. He decided to uh, split the two companies. It was an experiment. He thought they would be worth more separately than together. CBS went off on its own, and then Viacom went off on its own. Viacom mostly did movies, and I think they did some other things too. Um, and then CBS, of course, had TV shows and things like that. Exactly where Nickelodeon... I don't, anyway, so it's an entertainment company. So they went off doing their own thing. But for whatever reason, CBS was given the, the rights to Star Trek. And then uh, Paramount, if they ever wanted to do movies again, would have to uh, get like a license deal from their ex-sibling uh, company, CBS. So they did that, and that's where we got the 2009 J.J. Verse movies. And But the thing is, for whatever reason, CBS said, we may want to start making TV shows again. You've got to be 25% different whatever that means, from original Trek, so that people know that there's a difference, I guess. And so the JJ-verse was for Bad Robot Productions, uh, Viacom, Paramount, were forced to make it different. And so they came up with this whole idea of the Kelvin timeline split. And that was a great solution. The only thing is, you know, this they did go back and talk about Taw's time frame things, but this was like a, an offshoot time period. Everybody knows about the t- t- Calvin timeline thing. So that was the way it was supposed to be done. But you had to be 25% different. So the ships look more different. I mean, the Enterprise itself looks like a hot rod kind of thing, which I personally like the design myself, but some people don't. And they had to make a lot of things 25% different. And then when they started, um, for whatever reason... <laughs> CBS Studios started... Oh, that's right. So, and that contract, amazingly enough, has a Bad Robot production company in the right square in the middle of it. So that 25% edict difference had to be done by Bad Robot, too. And that contact, contract continues on because now they've got Bad Robot, uh, who had a split-off company called Hidden Door, I believe, um, but they're still underneath Bad Robot. Um, and that's the company that Roberto... Not, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Kurtzman. Uh, so he, he's the guy... Uh, Alex Kurtzman. He's the guy running Hidden Door. He's the guy making the um, Discovery TV series, the Picard TV series. Yet, because it's that company involved, even though they're doing it for CBS, they still have to make it 25% different. Supposedly, easy. Which it, it sounds crazy to me, but it's because it's with. Um, I mean, basically, Bad Robot slash Hidden Door has a lot more power in this in this situation than than you'd think they would have. Anyway, so things look a little different. Not only because they want to make it look more more up to date. I mean, they don't want the ships to look like nineteen sixties. Or, or, like, Discovery took place before Taws. Mm-hmm. So, but they still don't want it to look like really crappy ships and stuff. So everything does look a little bit more technology. The Klingons look very different. And that's probably part of the 25% different edict. And that's also that, hey, this is my production. I want to make it look my way. Um, and, and it's just, 
you know, there's a lot of things people don't like about it. Um, I think I read anyway. that it also has something to do with uh, merchandising. That well, there's they, merchandising too. Yeah. Well, that 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 was a big reason why yeah, so, Paramount didn't want to give up um, the television show, but then it turns out that the merchandising for the new movies actually hasn't been all that great. No, it hasn't been. Well, the, yeah, the JJ stuff ruined all the merchandising. Yeah, and, and what they yeah, so what JJ supposedly said that they don't want to have Taw's merchandise and Kelvin merchandise because that confuses the the consumer. So, but Please. I don't know about yeah, you guys. Brian, aren't but... you aren't you confused on what a Shatner versus a Pine Kirk <laughs> would look like? No, but I am confused by the legalities of this weird Viacom CBS thing. And I think you did a pretty good job there, Ken. But it is it is definitely yeah. maddening to think that Star Trek is cannibalizing itself because there's so much rich stuff. Now I don't understand. Like in in um, in Discovery, at one point, I think they used the phrase "the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few." <laughs> um, so there are, but but you'll notice there are not a lot of references to the movies in the television shows, the new television shows, um, which I think that's part of it. And you're right; in the last Star Trek movie, Star Trek Beyond, there were a lot of references to the TV show, even even silly throwaway things like a great big hand reaching out in space. Yes, yes. Um, which <laughs> I mean the. the I, I both love fan service and I hate it, you know, at the same time. Um, I love it when I get it and I think it's fun. I hate it when I feel like it's just been thrown in there for no reason. Um, but, no, I love it anyway. Um, well, that was a good joke. I, mean, I, I just, I just, um, it makes me sad because I'm, I'm afraid that if Star Trek in the future doesn't make it, it's going to be because of this, this squabbling. Um, oh, didn't, right. I recently, didn't I actually hear that, that there was a remerger where CBS and Paramount are now back yeah. by Viacom? Yeah, but the 25% difference yeah, thing well, still holds. And it'll keep holding as long as Bad Robot is involved, and they'll be involved until they stop making them. So um, they'll, they still, they'll still get their cut of everything Star Trek until they stop making movies and they stop any TV show that's currently already out or being worked on now. So, but hidden. But you're saying that Hidden Door, which is a hidden, sub, subsidiary of Robot, is making the TV shares shows. Yeah, shows, yes. right. So why but don't they're they also make... taking a huge cut of the financials? So, but if they're making the movies and they're involved with the TV shows, they should have an investment in making the whole thing work, shouldn't they? They should, but but they don't get the whole pie. Nobody gets the whole pie, so nobody wants to put up any money. I gotta talk to JJ. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and also the problem is, CBS is a is a financially healthy company. Um, although their CBS All Access supposedly is not the biggest successful streaming service going. But still, financially overall, they make plenty of money on network TV and whatever else they're doing. Um, Viacom, not so much. They have, been, uh, they have made the wrong movies for the past decade in many cases, and they are in the red. So part of the reason they're merging is because Viacom could go bankrupt. Um, so that's going on, which causes problems with funding. So now CBS, financially relatively healthy, uh, Viacom, not so much. Together, a lot of debt. So they don't have a lot of money laying around to uh, plow into new Star Trek TV shows and movies. And unfortunately, I love Beyond, but it didn't make much money because, quite frankly, they didn't promote it. They, right. they spent nothing to promote that movie. Um 
And so we also waited too long between Beyond, between Into Darkness and Beyond. It was just yeah, like four years. Yeah, it was a lot of stuff like that. So it took that so, long to get the funding from external sources. Exactly. And and since Beyond lost so much, and by the way, it's external sources. A lot of it came from China. And um, since Beyond lost so much, they're not finding those external sources lining up to uh, to fund their movies. And as you, you guys probably know, is uh, what is was it Amazon that or was it Netflix? Uh, ne- it was Netflix, Netflix did Netflix did uh, season one of Discovery. Okay, right. And okay. they didn't want to do season two, but right. they had to because of the contract. And right. then uh, Amazon International did Picard. Picard. Okay. So these other streaming services are paying for most of the production costs of these TV series, not CBS. Um, Which is crazy to me because I'm paying my ten dollars a month. What am I getting out of that? CBS. I'm not paying it to Amazon. Exactly. Right. Or, or Netflix, necessary. Not right. Necessarily. So when I when I hear those those stories, I'm like, well, then why are we paying CBS to get all access if the money that we are using for the subscription to watch that show is not actually going to make more of that same show? It's just nuts to me. Okay. All right. Thank you, Ken. I, I feel like I, it is. In order to talk about Picard, the, the TV series, you kind of need to know some of that stuff because there are some things like, you know, it's interesting that they used the destruction of the Romulan star as the basis of this whole thing, which was from the the JJ. I, I know it's from the Prime Universe, but it's from the JJ movie, mm-hmm. um, and, and and that relationship is just it, it's a very strange. You know, um, why why do they only go so far? And I think you explained it. Um, so, anyway, about the show. Tell me what you thought about the show. <laughs> itself. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I know that we'll go off on this for hours. So, um, I just, I, I thought it was important that we, a lot of listeners don't understand that weird, and I, I'm not sure I still really get it, but the whole legal, that there is a legal thing between the movies and the TV shows that they are separate, that they have to be somewhat different, and yet there are some weird little crossovers. Yeah, Discovery is kind of a new critter, but it takes place supposedly in the Prime Universe, prior to when Taws happened by 10 years or something like that. So you, you so, so maybe that being a bit different is kind of more acceptable. It's a new time period and different characters, except for when mm. they brought Pike in and That's number awkward. one and things like that, which is very cool. But then Picard is, that's direct lineage from TNG. And, and I will say that I was prepared, partly because of this and partly because they did so much work before the show came on, that Picard is not going to be next generation. It's going to be so different. It's going to, and, and indeed it was, in that it was not as episodic. It's one long story arc, which is the way TV and storytelling seems to be done today. Um, but I was prepared for them to be like, don't even think about next generation. And so I was delightfully surprised that it really just feel felt like it was be is picking up off of next generation. Yeah. Sure. Different. And, crew. And, and Voyager. I thought it was a natural, I mean, a natural future of all of the original series or all of the prime next generation series is kind of like, this is where it would be 20 years later. I, I thought it was, right. I like, I liked it that in that yeah. regard. Did you notice that when, when, uh, a couple of different times when Seven of Nine was introduced, if you listen carefully in the yeah, background, yeah. you can Voyager hear Voyager the Voyager theme. theme. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty well cool. played. Well played. But so all that being said, um, 
now that they've set it up by the end of the season, uh, season one, um, what's going on? We've got Picard dead and, and some copy of him running around. And they're basically on uh, Serenity. So it's, it's, it's now a very different show. It's not our heroes are in big, huge ships flying around a, in a pseudo kind of military operation doing whatever. Now we've got a much smaller ship, a much smaller crew, ragtag crew. This is, this is like the Firefly TV show to me. And so... Good point. The, yeah. It seems like they're, they, the world is open to them. So there's all kinds of things they can do in season two, but and there'll still be Star Trek, and we'll still see. I bet we see Jordy I, I, at some point. I bet we see Worf at some point. Uh, hopefully Crusher. Um, but the kind of storytelling is going to be probably quite different from hanging out on the bridge of the Enterprise. And I think they yeah, want that. as it should be, as yeah. it should be. I mean, because right. I, I think one of the things that kind of brought down. I don't say brought down, but one of the reasons things about Star Trek was that every progressive series had that same basic feel to it. You know, it was on the bridge of a ship, and each episode, you know, their Enterprise went into one season that had a big story arc. Okay, um, the show Enterprise. Deep Space Nine did the same thing. Yeah. yeah, and and that was in a space station, not a not a not a ship. So that that was interesting how they did something very different there, but still, yep. Anyway, I just feel like this does have this sort of. This is going to sound weird, but it brought Star Trek into the 21st century. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I was talking to Donovan about uh, about Picard, and you know, I, in a lot of ways, people are hating on Picard. Uh, at least some people that have YouTube channels. But I think this is just the kind of show we need right now, where mm-hmm. it 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 does have the lineage of Star Trek. It has some of the some of the characters we knew and loved, uh, mixed in with some new characters, and they're they're going in a new direction though. Uh, I mean, they're still within the Federation; it's still around. You know, all those kind of things are still out there, but they're doing a new kind of stories, um, and I think that's great. You need that. You need change. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're spot on. Um, as an aside, I was really glad that in the book, Picard, uh, the last best hope that they did explain and tell us that Jordy did make it from the explosion of hundred percent. I hundred percent. That's one of the things I wrote down about the novel, also, because um, you can't tell from from the Picard TV series what happened to Jordy. What happened to Jordy? What happened to Jordy? I right. was so I'm happy not- to see he's alive. And the comic book places him on Mars, which we expected. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was I was glad that they. Yeah, actually... just, just so that uh, when I was reading it, um, I got to the part where it has that scene where he's with with Picard and Elnor, and he gets the call that something happened in Mars, and then he beams away to the ship, and that chapter ends with as soon as he beams up, he's like, "Where's Jordy?" Right? Because you want to know where's Jordy. Yeah. Um, and that's where I had to stop reading for the day because I had to do something else. And so, uh, I, like, the rest of the day, I'm like, oh, my God, they're finally going to say it. I got to get to it. So then when I got back mm-hmm. to it, then, like, the next chapter has absolutely nothing to do with that storyline. It has to do with the stupid senator lady doing her thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you got – I was on pins and needles because I was like, I just got to know what happened to Georgie. So she 
uh, Una uh, McCormick, she did a really good job of giving you that little tease and then making you wait for it. Um, mm-hmm. Very suspenseful, I thought. And usually I don't get that suspenseful in, in books, but uh, that one got me. Okay. So you mentioned, you know, Picard is now an android. I, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm, I want to like it. I want to go with it. I want to accept it. I'm sure I'll get there. And I know we all accepted the fact that, for example, example, Spock got reincarnated by the Genesis planet. Okay, Mm -hmm. fine, next. (laughs) So, you know, there's that. But I'm just wondering, was it really necessary? Um, And and I have some questions about the whole sort of data at the end there when he was, you know, did Data knew that he was going back to, that that he was dead, right? And that he was going to go, not be going back, but he kind of was and, so how does data know all that? My my assumption is because data exists within the computers of the synths planet. Um, but didn't that all just feel a little a little uh, ethereal, kind of out there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he was yeah. inside that little machine that they had unplugged ceremoniously there at the end. Right. So I guess somehow he was he knew what was going outside of that machine. Yeah. Uh, but it, I did not I did not like that a neuron of data. Oh. would have enough information yeah. to recreate his whole mind. Exactly. That's, uh, that's that, garbage. That, that seemed a little far-fetched. Oh and that's where did they strong. get a Why neuron? Garbage? Okay, so, so, it's destroyed. so they're trying to relate it to DNA. Okay? Right. right. So with a living, a normal living creature, DNA supposedly has all the information necessary to recreate the entire person. So they're trying to liken that to a positronic, positronic brain, which is 100% hardware. It's hardware. Right. There's no wetware in there. So a small bit of a transistor somehow has all the information necessary to reproduce an entire mind? It's like, what? Right. Well, here's what I thought. I thought that it was, even if you could accept it, you could build a brand new data with no memory of what had happened. The idea that data's experience could, in other words, maybe you could have the the plan for building a data, but the fact that you could take data's experience and knowledge and keep it didn't seem realistic to me. Well, yeah. Oh, but, but hold on. They should have just said didn't they, they got. Didn't they, they get that his... from lore or not lore? Uh, before. before. Didn't they get his memories from before? Well, when... they, they, they should have said that. They know they did say that they got it from a skin cell or something like that, which is the part that I had a problem with. Well, if they would have just cell. said, "Hey, we got his, we got his memory, the one that he uploaded oh. into before," I would have been completely okay with it. And how about the fact that you know we went on and on about Maddox. All his whole thing is he wants to, you know, repeat Soong's uh, work. He wants, and he wants great to great life. But why, why is it that in, in both Nemesis and in the entire series of Picard, we've, we never mention the fact that lore is out there? Yeah, well, we... Oh, and, and, yeah. and Data's mom. <laughs> Data has a mom out there that's 100% android that nobody knows about, and they don't ever mention her. Hmm. And uh, Lol, I mean, I know she didn't work, but she's still out there too. <laughs> she's not. She's not. Didn't she? She died. She died, but they sent her body to uh, Maddox. Oh, I didn't remember that. 
So she's still out there, and she also he uploaded his mind into her, and and he, and he downloaded hers from into him. So she technically had all his memories up until then too. So it's just like there's so many other places you could say you could get a sample of Data's mind to then say that we got it from Stardust after the the Shizon exploded. Just makes me. I, I wish they wouldn't have gone that route. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah, I had a hard time buying that, and I had a hard time buying the fact that the whole like, kind of mystical idea of the what did we call it? Um, the ancient yeah. hatred. What the Romulan ancient hatred? But that what did they call it? Not the quick. The admonition. <laughs> the admonition. That's it. The admonition. So yeah, that whole thing seemed very odd. But it, it, okay, so the admonition seemed like it was something that happened way in the past, because mm. then the Jadvash were supposedly predating uh, the Tal Shiar, and somehow the Jadvash are at the core of the Tal Shiar, or blah, 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 blah. And then they show, finally, yeah. in what was it, with the seventh episode or something like that, they show the, 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 the Romulan women. Around right. a circle, who experience yeah. experience the admonition. So, but that obviously happened in modern times because people we see on the show. So, are they saying that every generation they get together, you know, ten or so women, and they all go to this planet with the eight sons, and they get around the circle, and they all get the admonition? Is that what they're saying? I think they are. Yeah, I think so. Okay. They also, they also, and, and I owe my friend Paul this observation. Okay. That that the admonition it is said exists outside of time. So, do what you will with that. You know, it's the admonition. Well, is, a, a lot of people were thinking that that was control from from the end of season two of mm-hmm. Discovery in the future, mm-hmm. coming somehow coming back in the past. And mm-hmm. there, was that, there was that. There was that out there. I thought that was actually a pretty good one. Someone said that we saw, I, heard, I saw this on one of the YouTube things, that when when they send the signal off into space and it gets answered, and you see those like like Dr. Ock hands coming out of the yeah. sky, that, that, that was... Dr. Ock hands were actually in Discovery. I don't know if that's true. Um, I don't know where. In I don't Discovery? remember the Dr. Ock hands, but it really looked like the, the, the Narada from the comic book. Well... Yeah, so, so they look like tentacles, metal tentacles right. or something um, that were coming out. Which, by the way, you know, the, the space opening up and the tentacles coming out and stuff, and then it went away real fast. It was like, that kind of looked cheesy to me. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's the best they could do? Yeah, that was kind of a deus ex mach, and I just, just it, whoop, they're gone. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole thing felt a little like the first Avengers movie where they open up a thing and oh, oh, yeah. in right. the sky and all the things right. come out. Right, um, right. But I don't know. Anyway. Um, so do you think that the, uh, the, the me- mechanical species that they're reaching that's outside of the galaxy is the one that reprogrammed V'ger? Well, at first I thought it was going to turn out to be the Borg. I actually had this moment where I was like, oh, my gosh, the Borg are going to be the ones that... Um, and then there is a theory that the Borg planet is what found, uh, you know, V'ger originally. 
I would love to think that, Donovan, but I don't think we're ever going to hear about V'ger again. There, he did, V'ger did show up in a comic book once, but... Um, yeah, that was the uh, that was the the Nero comic book that was set right. in between Kelvin destroying and the beginning of uh, Kirk's. Well, you two would know, being that you have reviewed ever every comic book <laughs> ever published. <laughs> um, yeah, um, but I, I I I had that same thought, and uh, I I like the idea, but I don't think so. But they're also yeah. always in the show. They're always talking about other uh, android species, and. In that mud episode, uh, I think it's I Mud, where he has he's on a planet of uh, duplicate androids. Um, they talk about how those androids came from another galaxy and are just you know living now on that planet, just chilling out. And Mud just happens uh-huh. to stumble across them. Yep. And I really thought that that was going to somehow tie into the end of Picard because. When they even get to the planet, all of the uh, androids are duplicates, just like um, in that mud episode where every android had a number on them, which was you know which showed which which model of that same. Uh, yeah, but they which, weren't okay. Yeah, but they yeah. weren't necessarily two of them. There were as many. No. There were tons right. of them. Right, uh, but but I'm saying it's model. just. It was an android society yeah. from another galaxy yeah. that was trying to live peacefully in our galaxy and it was just like the parallels are so there why not just take the extra step and somehow connect them instead of now making you think that this android society from our universe or our timeline is the same as this one from another galaxy that happens to just live on another planet somewhere else it's just why not connect them well yeah you could or the idea like in Battlestar Galactica and a lot of other other science fiction stories um the idea of a flesh and blood society ultimately making mechanical beings uh, that look like them for whatever reasons is not an unusual thing so there could be tons of different androids out there running around from different societies uh, that they may have created. I mean, what are little girls made of? Was an episode. Yeah, that's about. another one. Yeah. That's another one I was thinking of. Yep. And then all you got to do is put somebody on the side of a turntable and spin uh, around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Naked. While they're naked. Uh, yeah. Right. All they have is a, a clamp around their uh, midsection or whatever. Yeah. Well, we've all been there. But anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Can, can I, I just mention one quick thing about the whole idea of overlapping V'ger? with the board. I always had an issue with that because to the best of my knowledge, um, they're, they're cybernetic beings. So there isn't, to the best of my knowledge, there's no AI. There's a, uh, there are wet people that have, um, mechanisms in them. So, the brains going on, I don't remember, correct guys, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, is there any kind of AI thing going on there where it's, 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 a, it's a robotic brain, a, me, a mechanical brain, an artificial brain? No, no the whole idea, it's though, a, is that it, it's a group of, of, of minds that are all working together. It's the hive mind. Whereas V'ger is, to the best of my knowledge, 100% 
uh, mechanism. Mechanical. There right. are no people. There's no wetware. Um, and the same thing for the, the tentacles coming out of the sky at the end of Picard. <laughs> I mean, again, no wetware. It's an artificial intelligence. Um, well, I think the whole idea about V'ger, though, is that it achieves a level of sentience mm-hmm. and, and you know, the, all of the mechanics sort of become, if not physical, wetware. That's how I'm going to say it. Um, that there is another level of being um, beyond the mechanical. No? Right. But, I mean, but in, well, in, in the motion picture, they say that it was a mechanical planet. They don't say it was a cybernetic planet. So I, I will give you that, that I agree with you 100% that it, it can't, I don't think it's the Borg either. Um, and then when they, but I mean, and then that's another example of a mechanical being or thing that then creates a synthetic human or a synthetic humanoid, right? So it read the memories of Elia or however you pronounce her name. I know Ilya. that Brian, Brian always corrects me on it. Ilia <laughs> <laughs> uh, creates, you know, a, uh, a synthetic that's so lifelike that it actually has tears and, and other, uh, what is it that, parts. uh, other parts. what is it that in Picard where, uh, where the Riker's daughter says, why would they make a robot that had mucus or something like that? Um, tears, I think. What? Te- is, is it tears or? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah and, so and, it's just like. What did she know, say? What did, what did uh, Soji yeah, say? Yeah, it was tears. Yeah. It was, and in in the, in the in the motion picture they talk about eye moisture. Right. <laughs> and that's before that's before Decker, you know, really tests her out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Well, Ken, go, you were the yeah. one that talked about wetware with mechanicals inside, so you know, gotta gotta go with what you gotta go with. But uh, we're 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 digressing. Yes, we're digressing. <laughs> so anyway, okay. I really I really wanted Picard to link up more to the established other synthetic mechanical that were in the world of Star Trek. That is in the world of Star Trek already. Right. They and they they, want, they want you to believe that data is the and in 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 both the book and the show, data is this unique being. You will not create another data. Data is, you know, and and you're pointing out that there have been other semi-sentient uh, robotic uh, artificial intelligence that came pretty darn close, and they should have also talked about them. Exactly. Or yeah, right. Yeah, but again, the big difference is human created versus some other some other society that has nothing to do with Earth or humanity. But Picard at the end, was trying to contact other android civilizations that weren't created by humans. That, that's my point. Picard was? At the end of the show, yeah, well, that's what the Soji and them were trying Soji to do. Soji was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The beacon. Yeah, yeah. The, exactly, right, yeah. So why not just tie it into any of the other robotic societies that we've already established in Star Trek? Hmm. You could have, and then you'd be accused of fan service, so, okay. Well, what did you guys think about... Um, Brent Spiner playing yet a third generation of Soong men when he first came on. I, I, I was surprised about it. Uh, I don't think ever, and Donovan agrees with this because we've discussed this before, uh, we never heard about Soong having a human uh, son. Um, they, there was never any allusion to that in the past. Uh, but 
given all that, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I mean, it is true that the, the, the males of the Sung family have really dominant genes because they all look identical. <laughs> but um, Handy about that. I, I, I think for me, and this, this goes outside of the storyline into like, like I have friends, multiple friends, who are able to keep away from the internet and not see the spoilers, whereas I'm like waiting for whatever information is going to come up. They don't watch the previews. They don't watch the... I have two different friends who went to see the 2009 Star Trek, not knowing that Leonard Nimoy was going to show up in the middle of it. I can't imagine what that would have been like. So for me, the thing that I liked about it, just from terms of how they handled it, I, I wish that I hadn't seen Data in the previews. I wish oh, that yeah. I hadn't seen uh, Riker and um, Deanna in the previews. So when he came on, uh, Brent Spiner, as Sung's son, I, I just loved the moment. I just thought... Oh, this yeah, is a great way to... I, I thought they handled that very well, because I did not see Son of Soon in any previews. <laughs> no. However, however, and Donovan and I were texting about this, because he, he saw the second to last, well, wherever he came up. He saw it before I did. And I'm watch, I started watching the, the, uh, the titles, the opening titles, and I saw that Brent Spiner was in the opening titles, and again, it's like, wait a minute, are they bringing back data? And then right. Donovan just just casually types, watch, watch. <laughs> well, actually, I read that Brent Spiner made a deal breaker that if they bring back the character of Data, as in physically bring him back sort of the way they brought back Spock, that he would not do it. Yeah. He didn't want anything to do with it. Right. Donovan mentioned the same thing to me. Yeah, and the, uh, I watched the Will Wheaton Ready Room Yeah, yeah, show, yeah, yeah. And, and, and he, meant, he mentioned that, that he... he he was not going to come on if they were going to just bring data back. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's great. Well, let's 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 talk about some other people that were brought back. Let's talk about you. Who you? Who oh, you? So you met me? I was like, they brought me back. Um, <laughs> you. Um, I liked the fact that they brought you back. I thought it was a good use of the character. I thought that he had an ignoble death. I thought that he could I have thought gone that out. Was a waste. Yeah. Um, I, I was waiting for the scene, or I just was assuming in all the pre-stuff pre before it even started, that we were going to see something between Picard, Seven of Nine, and Hugh, all of whom were recovered Borgs, XBs. XBs. Um, mm. And that there would be like some kind of part of plot was why the, the three of them had to be involved in all this. And so, so I thought that, that it was great to see Hugh. I thought they did a good job with his character development because he seemed very human, and yet you could still see something was a little off. Um, and just because I've mentioned it, probably the most poignant scene in the series, which they did not overdo, was the quick conversation between Seven of Nine and Picard when they when she asked him, "Did you feel like you re recovered your humanity?" Yes, completely. No. Right. And that was to me that was that was probably the dramatically one of the one of the most touching moments in the show. Yeah. But back to your main point, Hugh, great character, not used well. Yeah, I yeah, agree. In the middle, I think he was. But very briefly, but he was he died too fast. But here's my thing with you. He, it doesn't make sense why he would have been part of a full blown collective board cube at that time, because by the end of season seven of Next Generation, he was already 100 um, percent cut off from the collective, along with a whole cube of other board that that lore was was working with. And at the end of that episode, they didn't rejoin the collective. So. They were still out there as not as individual board at the end of deep uh, at the end of next generation. So 
I want to know how did he go from there back to being part of the collective to the then being Romulus to. Uh, to I didn't the, think that he was part of that cube that the that the reclamation cube. I thought that yeah. he came on for that project. I thought that he had already been recovered. Oh, did you? Well, no, well I, when did I, they say I that? Took it that he was, I took it that he was part of that cube. He was one of the reclaimed. I, I'll agree that they never said, I don't think, but I think he was on that cube. Now, now, it's quite a coincidence he just ended up on that cube. Now, 20 years have gone between the last time we saw him, you know, hanging out with Lore, and then this, you know, Picard. Uh, it's at least 20 years. So, right. a lot of things could have happened to, <laughs> to you. I mean, those... They, they might have somehow rejoined the Collective... I mean, apparently that's what must have happened, um, I guess. But it's like it's like well, I'm not. I don't have that that big an issue with it. But I do completely acknowledge what you're saying. It does seem a little odd. And then then that you just so happens to be on the same uh, board cube that somehow a Jat Fash broke with her sadness. What what I don't know. Robin does background in her relationship with Narissa and Merrick and the fact that she was the one that went crazy from the admonition. Yeah. Doesn't, don't, don't they imply that she brought down the cube? Yeah, they, yeah. I think they said that. Yeah, no, they said it. So yeah, there's a what... lot of questions that that brings up. Oh, yeah. But can I just say one more thing about uh, you? You? Yes. I thought <laughs> Del Arco, the actor that, that did him, I thought he did a wonderful job especially um, when he is standing there and he sees all the XBs being assassinated by the really villainous uh, Romulan chick. Um, and they're being sucked he's into crying. No, 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 no. Nerissa. She has them lined up. Right, her. her. Oh, 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 those, those. She guys. has them lined up and, and she's trying to find out where you sent Picard because they, they got to find Picard and they got to find Soji. That's the big deal. So, and to get that information, they're lining up XBs and assassinating them right in front of you. And he is reacting very humanly. He's crying. He doesn't know what to do. Uh, I thought that was great. Showing his recaptured humanity. I, I right. thought that was really good. I agree. That's yeah, it. And, and it works because in the, in the next generation... He very not very quickly, but you only, you get the impression that he's on that journey already. Yeah. You know, twenty years previous. Yep. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I I did think that was one. I think that makes it all the more. Um, I mean, I, I get if they wanted to kill the character, or they felt they could, they should. I didn't think it should have been done the way it was done. Yeah. I wanted to see you continue on. Yeah. Agreed. So, can we talk about how when they killed all the board by opening them up to space, and they all sucked out while they were being woken up? Yeah. It's horrific. Yeah, why would that kill them though? Because we saw in first contact they can live out in space, no problem. Good point. Good point. Well, so they, they could have uh, they, they, they recovered them, brought them back in if exactly. they had a way to do I it. No transporters. They, they got transporters, right? right? Start transporting back in. Well, yeah. you don't necessarily know. I mean, when they were out on that dish, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Walking around. They that could have been a different circumstance than just sort of suddenly being cut off and thrust into open space. I don't know. So they could have I, had an invisible force shield around their body. Have you seen with a the belt. anime series? Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, okay. something, something about it. I, it was such a horrific moment. I mean, it really was to, to watch the multitude of beings cast into open space. And we get and we get Jerry Ryan's reaction, you know, when they're all getting sucked out. So I mean, yeah, it was very it was a very emotional moment. But if you think about it, it, it shouldn't have been that big of a deal because they could just get there. There should be okay. I think I think they should be okay. I think we've seen it enough in other stuff. Out? Were they at, they weren't active? Were they activated Borg? Yeah, they had been activated. Yeah, she just woke well, yeah. them all up. Oh, she woke them up and then flushed them. Well, she, she didn't woke them up and then the, the seven of nine was... woke them up and Arissa flushed them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fine. Just so we're clear. Holy <laughs> <laughs> day. Okay, well, okay, so maybe you guys want to say more about that, but I want to say that seeing Riker and Troy on the planet, old and fat and happy, getting together <laughs> with uh, Picard, I love that episode. Oh, it was, it was totally fan service all the way that I was completely happy to be serviced. I, <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, it's the uh, one episode that does not further the story no, at all. No, not at all. But, but it, it does give you the opportunity... To have uh, Soji heal and adjust to her new circumstance, so Agreed. so it it did serve that function. And other than that, hundred percent fan service, loved it. But even the story that they told about their son who had died, uh, who they went to this that planet to try and heal, mm-hmm. um, it was it 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 worked. I mean, I really you really felt for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, there's no question that it, it slowed down the, the the driving plot that was going, but I think that was okay. Yeah, I I also loved it. Oh, I loved it too. And you know, you guys are happy to see Riker and Troy, which of course I am too. But that actress Lulu Wilson, who plays the daughter, yeah, I love that that girl. She she's such a fantastic actress. So to see her now in Star Trek, I was just like, oh, that's fantastic. What else is she from? Uh, she was in a movie called. Uh, <laughs> they're not good movies. They're you're not you're gonna laugh, but uh, she's in the second Ouija movie where she plays the girl that gets possessed, and my God, she's fantastic in that movie. And then she's in uh, she was in one of the Annabelle movies, and again, she was fantastic in that. Uh, she's in so a lot she's, of she's in cheesy horror movies, but she's such a good actress that she just like elevates the you know she elevates what you're talking about to the next level just because. She is so good, and she's been in some other stuff that uh, that I've seen her in. And she was in a TV show, I think, um, Pretty Little Lies or something like that. Maybe, maybe I'm mistaken. She was in one of those miniseries uh, type shows that one of the network networks had, the the cable networks. I didn't get to see it because I don't have that show, that channel. But well, I'm uh, enjoying just your energy talking about it. But just to be <laughs> clear about something. Mm. Are we talking about Ouija as in Ouija board? Yes. You know, yes. Those movies, yes. Such movies exist. A horror movie based off of a yes. cheesy it's, game. It's, it's a horror movie based on a board game. And it actually, well, in the credits, as a man who's been a camp director says, for 25 years, I don't need more Ouija boards in my life. <laughs> I've had to go into cabins in the middle of the night and say, guys, it's a game. <laughs> At the end of the movie, it says based on the board game by Hasbro or whatever. And I'm just like, Ouija boards have been around so much longer than that. But I just find it funny that Hasbro licensed it for a, a movie series. 
that that the second movie is actually really good. Y'all should watch it. The first one not so good, but the second one was was really good. Just when they get to the planet uh, of the synths, I forget what they call it. Um, and Picard starts to channel the synthetics, like he starts to kind of go into this trance, and and uh, you know when they when they arrive at Soji's homeworld, we don't know why or what that is. Is that is there something going on, or is that just his dementia that's kicking in? Oh, I thought it was just his dementia, whatever he had at the end of uh, in the best of both worlds. Or no, 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 the no, no, best uh, of both worlds. He had them too, right? No, all good things. No, no, all good things. Yeah, oh, whatever, you're right. Whatever Sorry. that was in all good things, I think it was uh, that kicking up. That's what I thought too. Yeah. But yeah, I had a. Yeah, I definitely didn't get him that he was channeling something. With the with, are you talking about the butterfly or something or what? No, no, no. He's still on the ship, and it's when yeah. they first because that's when oh. Agnes, who I really didn't like, um, even though they tried to reform her character, it seems weird to me that at the end she flies off without any consequences of murder. Well, and um, she's in love, and now she's somehow in love with uh, Rios. Rios. Well, that Where I did that come from? I don't know, but I. <laughs> um, but, oh, I understand that. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah really. Um, also, I like the fact that they showed Seven of Nine and Rafi kind of holding hands. Yeah, where did that come from, too? I was like, boy, y'all got some explaining to do. Well, hold How on. Everybody get hooked up. Can, can I just mention that uh, when I saw Seven of Nine in. Uh, was it the. Okay, so the rag, the. Uh, the episode, um, well, oh, when, where they're on the gambling planet. On the gambling planet, right? Yeah. They're they're in Quarks. <laughs> Cracks me up. Franchise. Anyway, so when they, when you see her in there, and there's obviously um, a relationship between her and the head bad guy lady. Yeah, 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 yeah. You definitely get that feeling. Oh yeah. yeah, you get that feeling. So apparently, she um, Annika was able to really get packed in touch with her humanity over the years and many aspects of it. So I'm fine with it. I'm surprised about it, but okay. Well, you uh, wanted her to hook up with Chakotang like they did in the last episode for some reason? Remember in the last episode of... Well, Boy, yeah, I know. I'm just trying to think about why you uh, brought that no, up. But, I mean, okay. just that, that it's 20 years later, you thought she'd still be with him, even though, you know, because they had such a good, no. solid relationship. She's got a range. No, I didn't. She's got a range. <laughs> It's a spectrum, people. <laughs> exactly, it's a spectrum. <laughs> no, um, I thought that was nice. I thought that was a lovely little touch. Because, you know, they Star Trek really tried to push the edge on, you know... Discovery? Sexual... Well, Deep Space Nine had the Trill episode. Ooh, uh, ooh, yes. Which was, you know, where there was the first kiss, and then mm-hmm. there was the um, Next Generation episode where Riker falls in love with the genderless person. Yeah, right. Whole, like, having a gender, and that was sort of... Kind of their that, that was they were tiptoeing around, which shows you how far we have come as a society. That now in Discovery, there's a couple that are brushing their teeth together at night, and it's no big deal, mm-hmm. um, and they're part of the main storyline. And now, you know, we've got um, Seven of Nine turns out to be uh, open. We'll say, you know? right? I, like I just it. would have liked some context as to how they got together because there was no illusion that they were like. Well, a lot of things ended up on the cutting room floor. For example, I, 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 I asked the question, what happens to Narek at the end? Because we don't know. He's this big, awful character. But what happened right. to him at the end? And well, I guess awful there was character, did you say? Yeah. Yeah. I think he was underutilized, but I don't think he was an awful character. No, no, no. He was evil. He was bad. Oh, oh, oh Narek. Sorry, 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 sorry. Narek. 
Yeah. 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 I don't know what happened to him, but yeah. But he, you know, we're, we're going to see him next season. You can guarantee that. He ended that. up on the cutting room floor. I heard they did film a sort of how he gets away kind of moment. But oh, it just really? Didn't make it. Okay. Yeah, he's going to be back next. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him maybe uh, at least doing little guest starring stints as part of the crew again. I don't know if this was done on purpose or not, but that character, you know, he's obviously a sleazebag and he's, he's, he's charming, um, uh, Dodge, uh, no, so Soji. and, um, to, to sleep with her, to get information, to find out, you know, so he's, he's awful, but the way they filmed him, he went back and forth in my estimation of being incredibly attractive and then incredibly ugly. Like it, it was weird depending on if it was lighting or, hmm. but that, that character was just, it was kind of intriguing in that show that he was two faced, that he had to, you know, he was, you know, you might think of him as a good guy, but he's really bad. Right. You might and think he's attractive, but he's visually, really I think they did a good job of that. Although I didn't like the character at all. I, I thought Narek was interesting because he wasn't just black and white evil, although he is mostly evil. Um, he also obviously did care a lot about Soji, uh, but in the end, it wasn't enough for him to not try to kill her. <laughs> Okay. Right. He, 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 he's not his sister. Obviously, his sister was a mustache twirling, uh, although very interesting and funny at times. She was a hundred percent bad guy. At least it right. seemed like Narek had a little bit of, um, you know, depth. multiple yeah depth or maybe a few different dimensions to the character. And I would like to point out that she could come back. I mean, if Emperor Palpatine can come <laughs> back from being, <laughs> back, she could come back. Just saying. She has some Thanks. great lines. Yeah. They gave her some great lines. Any any thoughts? Is, I mean, this is speculation for sure, but I wonder why they didn't get or why he refused to do uh, Bruce Maddox, the original actor. Why did they, you know, change actors? Why didn't they get the original Ichep? I mean, there's, yeah. they didn't bring anybody back from the old what? show. What? Wait a minute. They did? I mean, aside from Seven of Nine. I mean, Jonathan Del Arco? You? You? No, no, no. Well, Hugh was the only non-A-list person they brought back. None of the other, nobody else. I mean, they okay, recast each well, uh, they recast Bruce Maddox. I just don't think they tried. Well, I think, you know, I really do believe that uh, there were some amount of cost limitations on this show. Less so than were on Discovery. So I think there were some, some corners that were cut. I think part of the reason we didn't see Worf is that Michael Doran was expensive and if he they, was there on site i've seen pictures of and him if, on, on the set okay and if they had to pay for uh frakes who also was directed a few things and bring wharf into or uh, doran into it i think they opted not to uh, we didn't see jordy jordy could have been somewhere in there um, maybe saving it for a second season. You know they're bringing Guinan back for the second season. Yes. Yeah, I've yep. heard that. I've heard that, yeah. Uh, yeah, supposedly uh, supposedly Patrick Stewart particularly wants Guinan there. Or Whoopi. Did you see there. the show, the, the View that she's on, where he came on and asked her on public TV if she would do it? Oh, he asked her on the show, on The View? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, you can, see, you can find it on YouTube. He... he, he, he Invited her to season two to be on it in you know on the air. Oh, cool. So w- was he on there plugging the show or yeah. was he like the guest? No, he was. Yeah, he was a guest. Okay, cool. Plugging the show. Cool. Hey, real quick before we go, uh, two things. One, did you think it was odd that the 
plants that came up from the planet are <laughs> the space orchids. Yeah, that they're the same plants at the beginning of every episode of Discovery. I noticed that. Um, so, yes, I yeah, wondered if there was a connection. I've always wondered that in Discovery they show this plant thing trying to it looks like it's trying to grab the Discovery as it flies by, mm-hmm. but in both seasons they never bring up a plant like that. And then when I saw it in the, in Picard, I was like. I wonder if they've been trying to use this plant <laughs> thing since the beginning. This idea. Yeah. And if we're going to be consistent, we all know that what happens when you have a, a, a planet with dangerous plants on it is the Enterprise completely obliterates <laughs> all it. life on the planet. Yeah, you Gold can't have... Gold key number one. <laughs> <laughs> and then my, uh, my second last thing is, uh, have you seen the documentary uh, What We Left Behind, which is a Deep Space Nine documentary? Not yet. That is on my list. I but... Just... Just just to spoil a little bit of it. Um, in it, they talk about what what Deep Space Nine did, you know, to further television as a whole. And uh, the the actor, uh, the writer, I forgot his name, Ira, whatever his name is. Ira. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Him. So he's going through this checklist, and they're like naming off, you know, you know, moving the racial stereotypes, things like that. And then they get to um, sexual orientation or, you know, sexual identity. And the guy wants to put a check mark by it. And then he's the one that's like, no, 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 we don't deserve that. And then they talk about how, you know, well, there was that Trill episode. And he was like, yeah, but he's like, but that's all we did. We never even tried to um, do more, which we should have. And he was like, originally, we kind of thought that Garrick was going to be a gay man. And mm-hmm. uh, and he's like, but then we we dropped it. We didn't even try to push with the um, the studios to further that storyline. Yeah. So he, he actually, I I just thought it was so good that he was like, no, don't put a check mark there. We 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 could have done more, and we didn't. And I was just like, you know what? That's that's really cool that the writer of the show realizes that he could have done more to. to well, the same is true of the Next Generation episode. They all felt like it was, they kind of inched up to the subject, but they couldn't quite get there. Right. Right. Um, well, you know that uh, the original actor was supposed to be a male um, with Riker, um, and they yeah, and they chickened that. out. They chickened out and had uh, a female. They cast a female. Oh, I didn't know that. Jonathan Frakes. I, I, well, I, I didn't know that, but I've heard Jonathan Frakes say they should have had a man that would have been bolder uh, playing the role. I don't know. I feel like Star Trek does a pretty good job at pushing the edge all the time. And then as the edge changes, it seems like it seems tame in, in retrospect. Right, exactly. Let's just hope that keeps being the case. I would hope Well, but that's the case with most TV, right? I mean, you watch any show that yeah, was trying to... Star Trek's not the, the only one. Yeah, I mean, Star Trek's no, not the only show. Star Trek is special. That. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is special, but it's not the only one. I really enjoyed uh, The La Serena. I, the, the, the ship was very... The styling is very different. It's not a Starfleet ship. I liked seeing civilian ships. or And I don't know where it came from. I mean, uh, and the design is very different, so I, I like that. And uh, La Serena is the mermaid, or the siren in Spanish. Oh, that makes sense. Um, there were a lot of things, I, I heard on some of these YouTube things, a lot of things about the different names that were chosen and is why, like... Um, and my friend will be upset if I don't mention this, that uh, one of the, the holograms of Rios mm-hmm. is named Emmett, and he's the one who knows the truth about Captain Vandermeer. 
Mm. And the word emet is Hebrew for the word truth. Hmm. Um, Jana, um, so Jana is Arabic for garden uh, or paradise. And Rio served under Captain Vandermeer, mm-hmm. who we thought of as a father. And the name of their ship, the Ibn Mahid, means son of the glorious one, um, which is how Rio saw himself in relation to Captain Vandermeer. And finally, Rios named his ship, he thinks, after his late captain, is the name is uh, Serena, which well, means mermaid. mermaid. It means mermaid. Well, how is how is that naming after his captain? Uh, is Vandermeer, Vandermeer's Dutch for from the lake. From uh, the lake. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. There you go. There you go. It all makes sense. It's all tied um, Also, supposedly, Soji and Dodge. Have, those names have some... They're names of flowers, aren't they? Yeah, they're all named after flowers. Eh, something more than that. Um, they're related somehow. Uh, I don't remember the details of it. Uh, more than just flowers. Um, just be careful when you say La Serena, because when you first said it, I thought you said Macarena. So. Ah, good point. <laughs> La Serena. <laughs> I thought Harry Treadway who was the actor that played Narek, was really good. I really liked him as Dr. Frankenstein in uh, oh, Penny, Penny, Dreadful. Penny Dreadful. Oh, that's right. That was him. I thought he was really good. Um, Allison Pill is showing up in a lot of things lately. Uh, I'm watching her right now, uh, D- Dr. Gerardi, the actress that played Dr. Gerardi. She's got a lead role in uh, Debs the TV series that just finished up this past week. Um, I think, I'm not sure what, what channel that's on. but It's it, Hulu. Is it's it Hulu? Hulu? Okay, it's on Hulu. Darn. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that's all I have to say. Yeah, I've been, sure to watch things, but... I've been wanting to watch Devs because of her and also to see Nick Offerman playing a character that's not a comedic character. Yeah, he's not comedic at all. Although he, right. he, he has a few lines. But I, I'm, only two, I'm only two episodes into it. But it's, uh, it's pretty good. Uh, Heavy-duty sci-fi. Uh, right. you know, hardcore sci-fi. I like it. Made by so the guy who did uh, Ex-Mafia. Ex-Mafia, right? Yep. Yeah. And also did, was it Annihilation? Yep. Yeah. We're, we're completing each other's sentences, Donovan. I was going to uh, say sandwiches. <laughs> Okay, so last thing I want to say is about Star Trek's future. So we talked a lot about the Viacom, CBS garbage, all that kind of stuff. So, but the takeaway from that discussion is what is Star Trek's future? So Viacom, CBS, merged company is not in the... They obviously have the legal rights to Star Trek, but they're not in the best position to capitalize on it. And quite frankly... That company needs a home run. <laughs> so they... All the franchises that Disney has to generate money with, Viacom CBS needs that bad. Uh, they just may not, in the end, be in the financial situation to really capitalize on it. As a matter of fact, there was a uh, video, I think it was from Midnight's Edge on YouTube, um, where they conjectured that when you get into this bad a financial situation, then you start selling off assets uh, to generate funds so you can pay your debtors. 
Um, Star Trek is a considerable... It's their best franchise. I mean, come on. Uh, Are you saying that Star Trek's going to go to Disney? No, not... Uh, Well, no. They they brought up the possibility that they, as one of their, their best assets or most bankable assets, even though it's been... Some people say it's been very mishandled lately, lately, and it could have done much better. Um, they may sell off Star Trek. Who knows if they're that desperate for money? And uh, but but they didn't say who necessarily. I mean, well, they they've said in the past that Universal was wanting to buy it, and that Seth MacFarlane yes, would become yeah. the the yeah uh, uh, the other head, head writer of yeah. all uh, Star Trek. Yeah, there's other. Um, I thought that was yeah. Seth was brought up in some other videos as a possible okay. uh, be involved in, in running Star Trek. And what he just signed a new deal with, I thought it was NBC, oh, NBC Universal, right? Seth MacFarlane. Seth yeah. MacFarlane. Okay, so, so he signed a big deal with some big uh, company doing a streaming service. The NBC Peacock thing makes perfect sense. And um, he's making content for them. And if they were able to get their their money on or get their hands on the Star Trek um, license, then it would be back at NBC, which is where Star Trek originally broadcast. Taws and uh, having it in Seth's hands would be very interesting. But it would mean that they would have to stop all all stories that they're already either got in production or are already making. So no. No more Discovery or Picard or anything like that. You know, I, I'm fine with Discovery dying. I would prefer not to see uh, Picard die. I, I'm not fine. You know, I, I was I was not a, a fan of Discovery the first time I saw the first season because of all of the continuity issues, and then I kind of got over myself and I watched the first season again, and I actually really liked it. Um, and then I was just I was kind of a fanboy for the second season. I thought it was fabulous. I'll watch that. That recap of the cage in that episode a thousand times. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, I have heard that there there are re- the reasons why Star Trek Four as a movie, meaning the new, the JJ verse fell apart, was because the actors all wanted too much money. Um, that they were going to bring back George Kirk, um, but of course right. when they originally that cast was... uh, what's his name? Uh, he, he, he didn't. He was he was an unknown at that point. Um, and now he, of course, is not. Um, so th- th- basically everybody wanted too much money, so they just well, scrapped it. And oh, there was okay. also the rumors about there being a, a film by, um, what's his name? Kill Tarantino. Bill. Tarantino. Yeah, Tarantino. So, you know, that's also dead in the water. Supposedly. Um, well, I, I'm, I'm sure they're continuing. They had somebody uh, that was tasked with write, with taking his idea, Tarantino's idea, and writing a script. I'm sure they're still spending money on that, but you're right. They're supposedly they're they're not moving forward with that, but they're always spending money on, uh, you know, in development of things. So who knows? It might come up again. But uh, I think it speaks to the financial problems that Viacom CBS is in, where they're not going to put money on anything unless they can get somebody else to pay for it. Um, so sure, and it's got to be a really Surefire hit, <laughs> but if you want it to be a really surefire hit, you gotta pay the Pines of the world and the Hemsworths of the world 
Right. Uh, you know, it's like you can't right. have it both ways. And if you right. and if you do, if you think that Star Trek's future is that it's not necessarily going to be a big blockbuster, make huge amounts of money, but you'll be able to have a low enough budget that it'll you'll still make money. Well, then it's time to recast. That's what they should do. I mean, none, none of the no Star Trek movie has ever made Star Wars money. So for them to keep throwing Star Wars money at it. And expecting it to be a Star Wars hit, yeah, I think is a little folly. Yeah, you do know about the two animated series, right? Yeah, one for uh, CBS All Access and one for Nickelodeon. Yeah, and I I don't even know if I have Nickelodeon, but um, the um, have you seen the two short treks that are animated? Yeah, I didn't. I like the the I like the little the, the little robot thing. thing. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of fun. I don't yeah, know which one was hot and which that one. That was a Tom and Jerry esque thing. That's what I it really was. Liked. I used yeah. the same the same uh, yeah. illusion. Um, didn't really like the Michael Burnham getting the story in yeah. CGI one. That one. I didn't, I didn't like that one. And no. what did you think about the, What did you think about the Picard short trek, uh, Children of Mars? I liked the song. <laughs> the music. Uh, yeah, the music yeah. was good. No, nah, it was. Um, it was. I watched it a couple times. It was sad. Oh, super sad. It just made me feel like it was 9-11 all over again, which I think was the point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just to watch it on TV, knowing that people you love are in there. Yeah, it was great. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the I'm best, short, short, the best short track has been the uh, the triple one. Nah. Yeah, it, was fun. it was fun. I actually liked the episode. The, two, the other two in that series were... Um, you know, Spock's first time on the Enterprise, that was good. That was a good one. Where they get stuck in the turbo lift. No, I don't like that one. That, that, I like it a lot. The, the, the one stuck in the turbo lift? Yeah, the yeah. One, one question, ask me a question. Or a Q&A, that's what it's called. It's Q&A, Q&A yeah. I don't like that one. That's stupid. Yeah, I didn't care for the... Or, or, so did, did they explain why they couldn't use transporters on the, to get them out of there? Did they even bother? In I, I don't know. They don't do in, internal ship beaming. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> and the next generation, they make a big deal that they could do internal ship beam. Well, they yeah. they also make a big deal about explaining what a, a holodeck. Is. <laughs> I always find funny when when it shows up in earlier iterations. I Anyways, I like it. Uh, I like Spock singing model a very oh. model of a modern major general. And um, that's not Spock. Yeah. I'm sorry, that's not even young Spock. I thought it was, I thought it was BS. Oh, I liked it. And I like the, the the depiction of number one doing it too. I, I thought that was a good one. Well, seeing that side of number one was fine, but it's like, and no, that's not Spock. Sorry. Well, and that's then, all right. Ken, you have every right to be wrong. So I have every right to have my opinion, which is not necessarily right or wrong. I'm taking the high ground. I know that's that's why it was funny. Um, <laughs> Uh, But I did. I liked it very much. I I liked the um, when he first beams on and he's trying to suppress a smile. I think that was a really good moment. Was he trying to suppress a smile or was he trying to mimic a smile? Oh, I got the impression that he was smiling and then as soon as he comes on board, he realizes he is. And he's like, "Mm." Uh, and and number one calls him on it. She says, did I see a smile on your face? He says, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I always thought that he was, well, because I've read so much other like um, retconning of the the cage where he's, because he smiles in that, and then later in the books and stuff they say he was trying to mimic uh, what he thinks a human would have 
done at that moment. So yeah. that, I guess that's the mindset I had when he tried to do the smile thing in the transporting room, that he was pretending to smile. Mm. But who knows? Well, I'll go he with... He was a lot smiley back then. I'll go with Brian on this one. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think they were, were trying to reproduce the uh, Talos Four moment. There you go. I'm glad to be back with y'all. Uh, ask me again, because I have fun. Great. Great having you. You just tell us when, and we'll, be, we'll, we'll find a spot for you. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.